Welcome to the Nerdthusiast Music Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Matt Morosi, here with my co-host, Mr. John Brenner. John, how are you? I'm doing great. Ready to uh, hop in the, uh, the old DeLorean and head back to uh, the 90s. Heck yeah, man. Today we will be discussing 90s music videos. This is a little flashback for you guys. But first, I just want to mention that if you enjoy what you hear today, please consider going over to our Patreon. Uh, you can go over there to patreon.com slash pledge your support, and you can get exclusive videos each month from a variety of our creators, including us. So if you want to help us out and possibly get some exclusive videos, please check out our Patreon. Before we hop into the music videos, I do have a little icebreaker question for you, John. John, what was the worst haircut that you've ever had? Worst haircut I ever had was uh, beginning code, man. I mean, that, was, that was me doing my own. So that was uh, Oh, really? You cut your own hair? Yeah, it's cut my own hair. Well, I actually got semi decent at it uh, over over COVID. That's awesome. I, I yeah. fortunately for me, I have very little hair left, so I just you know, I'll just get my wife to shave it off. So that wasn't a problem. What was a problem when I was a child and uh, thought things were cool that weren't, and I had a rat tail for a little while, and <laughs> that's not something I'm proud of. <laughs> little Anakin Skywalker over here with the oh, Anakin man. rat tail. <laughs> You know, when you put it that way, to me, that just sounds a lot cooler than it actually was. <laughs> what, what am I getting my Jedi rat tail? <laughs> <laughs> Why the hell did they bring those back to that movie? What the hell were they thinking, man? Dude, well, didn't you ever notice, like, George Lucas thinks everything that happened, like, 40 years ago is hip. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> and oh. that's just the style. The good part about me having a rat tail is I don't know that there's any pictures that exist from that period of time, thank God, because I would have to burn them all. Yeah, I, I thought about that recently, about how I, I have, like, no pictures from 1987 to, like, 2004. Like, I, that, that, like, period of my life just does not exist, except for yeah. a picture or two here and there. Yeah. I'm with you. It was really when, you know, when smartphones really became, like, prevalent, that's when I really started, like, getting and retaining pictures other than that I, I didn't even like having my picture taken taken when i was younger no i hated it when i was younger and now i like now i fucking love it i don't know it doesn't make any sense oh that's because you look what back you on do? things it's like oh you get nostalgic when you're a kid you don't even understand what the hell nostalgia is and then you get older and you're like oh remember that you get some that, member berries you know as you get older <laughs> yeah with that with that said i like i cringe with anxiety when i go to time hop each day <laughs> like oh no oh no what are they going to show me what are they, what horrific memory are going to show me that happened like seven years ago like oh yeah that was a bad night well one thing that might have been on your time hop if this was 1994 is salt and pepper what a man so we're going to start in some hip-hop uh for you guys so we we had these kind of divided by categories so there's hip-hop 90s alternative 90s pop and then epic 90s videos and so we kind of made this list ourselves we pulled some ideas and stuff from like different websites and things just to, just to try to remember what was popular back then but this was definitely a, a popular i would say that the song is more popular than the video not that the video was bad or anything but what were your feelings on what a man no you're, you're completely right on that um the thing the, the thing i did remember though uh about this video was how much of a crush i had on spinderella I oh, really? like she was just I just thought she was a goddess. Like I saw uh, Salt and Pepper like got back together recently and they don't have Spinderella with them. And I'm like, yeah, it's not it's not salt. That's just salt and pepper. That's there's no end there. 
<laughs> right? I'm out. I'm out. No Spinderella, and I'm out. Yeah, it's a little weird. I wonder. Why, I wonder. I'm, I'm sure there was some. Re- Maybe she didn't want to come back. You know. Who knows? But yeah, know, that, 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 but yeah, that was uh, that video. Kind of, kind of simple, but it kind of, uh, kind of did the the whole point of what '90s hip hop was. Kind of drove it home. Yeah, I mean, it really was. I mean, it, it, there was just really a bunch of people in a room dancing, but that was like the whole. Like, we talked about this uh, last episode actually very briefly, but the '90s to me was just like all the music then, especially hip hop, is all about having a put good time, having a party, drinking, smoking from weed, having sex. That's that's the epitome of what '90s hip hop was for the most part, in my opinion. Absolutely, it was a good video. Uh- it was it, it definitely served its purpose and it's definitely when you watch it it's like oh i remember that time and place even though i was like i don't know 12 maybe that <laughs> yeah i would have been pretty young at that time too i don't, I don't remember exactly you're probably a little bit older than me so i was probably even younger than you when that happened but another throwback to the last episode was i mentioned the first album i ever bought was gangster's paradise uh or well it was the dangerous mind soundtrack which had gangster's paradise on there which of course is coolio's like biggest hit that came out in 1995, one year after Salt and Pepper's What a Man. This video is one of the most iconic hip hop videos, period. Like, this will probably end up on both of the lists. But, what, you know, I thought the video was excellent at the time. Obviously, I didn't like it so much that I went out and bought my first album. Uh, the movie was even really good, too. And, man, I went back and watched that video. Michelle Pfeiffer was so hot back then. Holy hell, man. I haven't seen her in a long time. So she probably still looks pretty damn good for her age, I'm sure. Oh, she looks great. Uh, she was recently in a movie called Family with Robert De Niro. Uh, movie was kind of whatever, hit or miss, but uh, she still looked great in it. And she looked uh, great in those, uh, in those in those Marvel movies when she was uh, in, uh, the, what was it, the uh, Ant-Man movies. She oh, I didn't watch those. I, I didn't know she was in there. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, still looking good. Michelle Pfeiffer still hottie. But um, yeah, video was definitely iconic. I mean, I remember that movie was essentially just kind of what was the name? What was the uh, I, f- I forget the name of the movie in the eighties with Edward James Olmos and Lou Diamond Phillips. It was basically that movie just kind of repackaged instead of Edward James Olmos putting hottie Michelle Pfeiffer in there. So it was almost <laughs> like they remade a movie like six years later. But it was but everybody saw Dangerous Minds. It was huge. And as soon as as soon as I saw the video on the list to watch it, I just thought of her sitting in that chair and Coolio like rapping in her face. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I I remember it fondly. Yeah, that was an excellent excellent video. The next video I want to mention is th- this. I mean, this video is is kind of it's very like highly edited. There's a lot of production and stuff, but it's kind of very simple. But it, it like embedded itself in, into my mind more than anything else. Like as soon as I think of hip hop videos, this is this is like right at the top of the list, which is Missy Elliott's "The Rain" from 1997. Yeah, and and then again, as soon as I saw the list, like the song just immediately popped in my head. And what's weird is I didn't really remember the video too much until I uh, really no no I, I I don't I don't know why I I don't know maybe some things just hit you more than others. That's probably true. But uh, it was, you could tell who you I I didn't look at the credits. I, I'd actually be curious to see if it was uh, directed by somebody who went on to make movies because it, you could definitely tell whoever directed that movie you know directed that video went to school to make movies. Yeah, I mean there's a lot of production value there, but it's it. It's crazy because they didn't go to a lot of like there was a few locations, but like it seems like it was shot, you know, with with 
it was just like edited very highly, I guess. I, I don't know. They no, did awesome stuff with it. Yeah, that, well, that's kind of what I mean. It, it, it felt very film school. Yeah, that, that's a good that's way what to I mean put by it. that. That's a good way to put that. Yeah. But I thought that video was great. I mean, like, as soon as I, I saw it, like, when I hear the rain, I think of the video. Like, it is intrinsically tied together in my mind. As soon as I hear that song, that video is playing in my head, like, right along with it. But that's also well, probably that, uh, a time and place thing that you were talking about. Cause I was, you know, that's when I started like, you know, this is 1997. This is when I really started getting into like hip hop even more. Cause that's where I started out was listening to hip hop. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely have the video more in my head now when I, when I hear the song, that'll, it'll happen. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird when I, when I watch the video, I'm like, why don't I like, I mean, I know I've seen it, but it just wasn't like glaringly familiar. So that what was, was familiar different. to you. I'm sure was Tupac's California Love from 1995. Yeah, uh, that was a that was a cool video. And it, it's it, I, re I remember when it came out, I never really, like, Dre was kind of like a separate universe to me from Tupac, which doesn't make any sense because it's all California hip hop. But it was like, it was, it was almost, it was almost like a superhero mashup kind of thing for me. <laughs> and... And it, 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 you know, like a comic book movie, which kind of that, ties this is a into funny the video reference you because, have because later Dre would go on to do a video with Eminem where they're superheroes, if you remember. Yeah, but, but also, <laughs> but also, this video was meant to be a Mad Max knockoff. Oh, of course, oh, hundred percent. That's so, exactly what it was. So, so it's kind of, it's, so it is, so it kind of makes sense when you have that dynamic, and and this, and and the song is just a great song. Yeah, I could, I could listen to, I could listen to California Love every day for the rest of my life, and I'd, I'd be happy. Yeah, Nick. Even like the, the, um, I don't know what kind of, I don't know if it was like a synthesizer they were using, but that kind of, that sound, that that West Coast sound is just pounding through that song the entire time. Like you could hear it without him singing a single word. Like just hear the music. Like oh, this is a, this is like a '90s West Coast rap song. That's what this and, is. And and Dre was putting uh, Dre was putting uh, auto tune in his production before auto tune was a thing. That's <laughs> <laughs> how that's how ahead of the game he was. Dude, he's something else, man. Record. I mean, yeah. it, it Dr. Dre may be somehow may be a better producer than he was a rapper. I, I love his rapping, obviously. You no, know, he chronic and chronic two thousand one absolutely was a better producer than he was a rapper here's the thing i love dre's rap records love them they're Me actually too. amongst my actually he's pro he's probably my favorite rapper there's because there's a big distinction and i'll say this a lot on this show that there's a big distinction between favorite and best yes, dre is, is probably ranked about 740th on list of all-time great rappers his raps are not good I'm creeping and I'm creeping and I'm creeping. Like that's not a good rap, but he's cool as shit, and it sounds mean when he says I'm creeping, I'm creeping and I'm creeping. That's uh, let me ride. But it, but the man was a musical genius, and he's probably number one or two on all time greatest hip hop producers. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, like the time he spent, like perfecting the beats to his songs perfecting like the music it shows man like his albums there's like never like you don't have you don't even have to look at the skip button on his albums you know unless you want to skip over like the, the skits were like a big thing if you want to skip over the skits i kind of understand that but when there's a song on it's like the skip button doesn't even exist if it's a dre song 
But I mean, but I mean, to, 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 to rewind a little bit, if, to go to the 80s for a second, if we're just talking Dre and production and rap, you look at uh, N.W.A. Straight Outta Compton, uh, which is considered to be one of the one of, if not the greatest hip hop record of all time. Dre's production on that is insane, but he only raps on one song. They gave him one song to rap on because he's not Cube. He's definitely not easy. He's not even Ren. Yeah. But, but you know, but when he did his own and he went out and he put out his own records, he was just cool. Yeah, I, I enjoyed pretty much everything I've ever heard from Dre. Um, but California Love, going back to it real quick, uh, that was that was Tupac's like biggest hit. Like this this song transcended rap music. It was like even if you just listen to pop music or anything, like this was a song that everybody listened to. Even even during the, the time which we're going to get into in a second, like with a uh, you know the East Coast and West Coast gangster rap, you know, with the, with the battles went on between them. I mean, even the, if you were a hardcore East Coast person, you were bumping your goddamn head to this song. I don't care who you were. Yeah, you know what? When, when, when that, I think people had preferences. I don't think, I mean, at least not like in my grade school. I didn't have people like taking sides. You had a preference. Uh, like, I mean, I guess you could say I was more of the East Coast guy because, you know, Wu Tang was, Wu Tang was my shit. Oh, man. Wu Tang uh, was something else. Uh, Cypress Hill had some great wreck, had some great shit. There, there was a different sound. You know, I always thought of East Coast rap felt like winter and west coast rap felt like summer that's kind of how i, I did love it. that like, i'll listen to wu-tang i'll listen to wu-tang in the winter i'll listen to i'll listen to uh dre and cube in the summer yeah man wu-tang um you know in particular it, it was just the east coast rap to me sounded like more like harsh and like to me it just felt like more real but i'm also from you know you and i are both from the east coast so it, it I feel like I can understand where they're coming from a little bit more in a lot of their shit. Plus, if you listen closely to a lot of Wu-Tang stuff, they were talking about like Voltron and like a lot of nerdy shit, clearly Kung Fu movies, you know, of the past and stuff like that. But they sung about a lot of nerdy shit. It's like, man, I can, I, I get these guys. You know what I mean? I felt like more of a connection to Wu-Tang than I did the West Coast raps. But if you wanted to party, you probably were listening to West Coast music and not East Coast music. <laughs> For the well, most part, it's funny bringing up it's funny bringing up Wu Tang and like you know, th- there's Wu Tang, a group of just incredibly skilled rappers, and yet my favorite of the Wu Tang records of the solo bunch is probably that first ODB record, and ODB was the least talented rapper in that group. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean his, his voice is very like like grating almost. Like I mean, it's definitely iconic when when he's rapping. There's no question as to who's rapping. It's oh, oh, that's him. Like you know his voice immediately. But and I, he was basically the hype man of he was the hype <laughs> man of the outfit. He was the hype man of the outfit. And yet that first that first uh that first uh ODB record was just banger. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean all yeah, Ghostface Killer's album too was fucking excellent. I don't know if that was his first one or not, but it was uh it was before I think it was maybe a year or two before Wu-Tang Forever came out. At least it's when I bought it anyways. Um, speaking, of Wu-Tang, speaking of Wu-Tang, though, I went to an interesting show once. It was Jizza uh, performing uh, Liquid Swords in its entirety, and he was, nice. open, he was, opening, for, he was opening for Bad Brains. That oh, was a show. Oh, man, that is interesting. Yeah. Crazy. That was a really cool show. Yeah. But the other side of the East Coast was clearly, if we talk about Tupac, we got to talk about Biggie Smalls, the 
I, I would say he has two really iconic music videos. Uh, one was uh, Hypnotize. Uh, and then the other was Mo Money, Mo Problems, which really was more of a collaboration because that, I mean, a lot of rap songs have other rappers on it, but that was like him, uh, Mace and Puff Daddy, who was Puff Daddy at the time. Yeah, I mean, uh, Biggie was just Captain Cool, man. <laughs> I mean, you would just talk about a big ball of charisma. <laughs> that was Hell yeah, Biggie. man. Yeah, for, for sure. And it's weird, though, you bring up uh, Puff Daddy. I, all, I, I can't help think of it. I, I don't know. It was just really strange for me. Not one of my favorite videos, but I can't that I'll be missing you video that he did yeah. for. But I just remember thinking it was the weirdest thing, just him getting off the ground after uh, that, that motorcycle. <laughs> like We just ride the motorcycle that loses control for no apparent reason. And then he just gets up and starts rapping. <laughs> for me, that just always cracked me up. Definitely a weird moment for sure. It's like, what? what, what? <laughs> like, that's skills, man. <laughs> I want to go back to the, the, the West, Coast, uh, West Coast party scene for a while. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you remember the, I don't know if you remember the, uh, the Fuck With Dre Day video yeah yeah it was i mean because that goes back to the party but i also but i also liked how it was it was it was that whole west coast it wasn't that was a inter familia uh battle there where it was dre feuding with easy and they were they were going back to the uh the nwa breakup and they were making fun of how easy's rappers that he was collaborating with weren't so hot and dre's like yo look at this guy i got and that was snoop (laughs) And Snoop was fucking cool. He's doing the bow, wow, wow, yippee, yo, yippee, yay. And that was kind of the first we, we saw of Snoop. Yeah, man, that was definitely, he, Snoop looks really young in that video. I mean, watching it, it looks, it's shot in standard format. It doesn't look that great. You know, this is from uh, Interscope Records. So this was the official release. They, it doesn't even look like they bothered to go back and remastered it. Maybe somebody on their own did. But um, this does not look great nowadays. But my favorite part of this video, the video is great. He's making fun of Easy the whole time. Clearly, there was like you were saying, it feels like a like a familial fight, which essentially it was. But if you get to the end of the video, at the very end, the, for like a few seconds, this had to be a legal obligation to make sure that nobody got sued at death row because it was death row at the time. It says this video is a work in fiction. The characters, incidents, and plots are a product of the creative imagination of the artist. All characters, incidences, and dialogue or words of the songs in the video are wholly fictional. <laughs> any resemblance to any persons living or dead is entirely coincidental. <laughs> fuck you! <laughs> A White Sox hat? Yeah, Get just, the fuck out of here, man! <laughs> and, 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 like, and, like, the, the sneaky white guy who's definitely supposed to be Jerry Heller. Like, it's just like... <laughs> You're talking about the one so good video, like the one. <laughs> oh yeah, the white. The, the, well, no, no. There's another guy. There's mm. there's the white guy in the video who's the who's the agent, and then there's the random white guy at the party wearing the fusion hat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> dude, he sticks yeah. out like a sore thumb, man. <laughs> the white guy, like you, you say that to anybody from the '90s, and they'll know what they're talking about. You're like, yo, the white guy with the fusion hat in the Dre Day video, <laughs> and they'll know exactly what you're fucking talking about. <laughs> Oh shit! <laughs> yeah, not, and 90s hip hop was what was up, man. Yeah, man. I, I look. I'm gonna try not to be that guy on this in this show all the time. That talks about like how things were better back in the day, but for rap and me, man, I do not understand anything that's new from hip hop. They got like trap music and stuff now. I don't connect with that. I don't understand it. 
Like, can somebody just get up and just start singing about partying and have a good time? We just got out of COVID. Can we get a resurgence of this great fucking music, please? Someone? I remember being really into fucking Kanye when he came out. And then, like, three records in, he lost me. <laughs> I've never been to Kanye. I've actually seen Kanye live, but I didn't care about him then, so I wasn't really paying that much attention to him. Like, I, I, I had just never clicked with me. College Dropout came out, and I was just like, that was... That was my record. Me and uh, me and uh, old friend of ours, Brett McLaughlin, we used to listen to that shit constantly when I was living on your couch. Yeah, man, Brett Brett loved loved old school hip hop for sure. And, and obviously, this is now as old school it wasn't at the time, but I do remember him liking Kanye quite a bit. Yeah. So another thing about nineties uh, MTV in particular was just how they had uh, great blocks of programming like original shows that were themed around, you know, either specific music or even uh, even like TV shows that they had. It was uh, it was an interesting time. Do you do you remember the shows that you watched on MTV, I mean, Matt? A hundred percent. So, I mean, the, the, there's there's a few different ones. Uh, obviously, the biggest one for me, for me personally, was Beavis and Butthead. I mean, that I that's when I first started like watching and found out about different artists and things like that. The first time I saw War was through Beavis and Butthead, and they were just rocking the hell out. I was like, what, what is happening? What is this? Later, I would go on to be my first concert, but yeah, man, Beavis and Butthead, uh, watching a lot of those videos, some of them sucked. Specifically, I, in my memory, there was a, some of you guys might remember, there was a video called Plant Man, and I don't know how they chose this video. Uh, I, I don't know how it came up. This was like not a great song, clearly. It wasn't a great video. And I don't even know how they chose it. Like, I don't even know that they made fun of it. I think they just like sat there in silence most of the time and watched this terrible <laughs> video. But that song, I've never forgotten because of that. Well, the, that was, that's the thing with Beavis and Butthead. You, there was two kinds of videos that you would want. Either the great video that turns you on to a band. Like I got into Dinosaur Jr. through Beavis and Butthead. That we, it was like wow what is this i and bought bought the record the next day but then you had these just really bad videos like one <laughs> i was thinking of was uh the grim reaper see you in hell video now mind you the riff is killer man that riff is awesome but man this band was like if you you just thought of stereotypical bad 80s metal band that was them, but except it was like 1992. And there's Beavis and Butthead watching this video and just ripping on this poor singer, saying that he deserves a blue ribbon in the pig contest at the county fair. And yet it was just the funniest thing I, 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 I had ever seen at that point in my life. And that song was one that we would play at band practice constantly because we all just remembered watching the video of Beavis and Butthead and we had Napster in 1999 and could download Grim Reapers, See You in Hell. <laughs> what am I, this is a quick side note. One of my favorite things from that, that show as, they, as we're talking about like making fun of things, I love that fucking the kid down the street, Stuart, who like they, they like make fun of and shit all the time, wears a fucking winger t-shirt. Like that is so awesome. <laughs> I'll never forget that either. I, this is this is this is this is on topic but off topic. I remember when I was in sixth grade, my best friend had his uh, had his appendix taken out, and he was in the hospital for a few days. And there was this kid, his room, 
<laughs> what? Oh God, he was definitely the smelly kid in school, and I hate making fun <laughs> of the smelly kid because you know what? It was you wanted. You almost wanted to grab the smelly kid and give him a shower and make him cool and have him hang out with you. That's what everybody should do to the smelly kid. But my friend's brother goes. Did you see Kevin's roommates is is uh, Stuart from Beavis and Butthead? <laughs> <laughs> That's the funniest. That's good, awesome. <laughs> I liked uh, I like that I like that meme that pops up from time to time with a picture of Eddie Trunk and it says Stuart grew up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Beavis and Butthead was definitely a very big part of uh, my childhood. Uh, now here's here's a quick sidebar. Do you remember the show that Beavis and Butthead was actually a spinoff of? No. It came from another show on MTV called Liquid Television. Oh, I know what Liquid Television of, uh, is. I've recently yeah, listened yeah. about this on another podcast. It was all animation based, and it was like really out yes. there shit, like shit that would like basically those people. A lot of those, maybe not the exact people, but those, I, a lot of those like concepts of making very different cartoons. Eventually, Nickelodeon started going down that path, and they would make some weird shit on Nickelodeon, which is not necessarily derivative from this, but it's kind of similar. No, no, de- definitely. I, 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 I'm pretty sure. I, I, I'm not. Don't, don't uh, chalk this up. I know you know there's going to be people listening. They're going to be like, hit me up on Twitter. But I, I, I think I feel like Ren and Stimpy might have had something on uh, on Liquid Television. They might have because it was a, really like. It was really different at the time, you know, there was, you know, I would say there's nothing had... like that, but that those like those weird 90s cartoons from Nickelodeon kind of felt like similar vibes to that. And they also had uh, they also had a show on a, a segment on there called Eon Flux, which they made into a feature length with Charlize Theron, which was terrible. But I remember being really excited about that because I loved I loved it on Liquid Television. So I just wanted to bring up Liquid Television because Beavis and Butthead did come from that. That's where it originally uh, debuted. One of my favorite things, too, watching MTV in general was hearing that little noise and then seeing my good friend Kurt Loder show up with an MTV news break. I can still hear that shit in my head. I see right now I just saw the little typewriter. And there was our Walter Cronkite, Kurt Loder. He already gave us the big news of the day. He was here to tell us that uh, the Lollapalooza Festival was kicking off in Cincinnati this weekend. Yeah. He was there. He was there for it. I Kurt remember. Loder, Kurt, Loder, Kurt Loder, John Norris, Tabitha Soren. They were, they, were our, they were our news anchors. The one that sticks out to me the most is when Kurt Cobain died. And we're going to obviously get more into that like, in a little while. But that, like, that update, like, still, I still remember that in my head. I, when that happened... It, I didn't. I, I I wasn't watching TV. I was actually on the way to a track meet, and um, we were listening to a classic rock station in my mom's car. And uh, whatever the uh, oh, actually, I remember the song it was playing. It was "Light My Fire" by The Doors, and it just oh, stopped. It just stopped, and the DJ uh, came on to uh, give the news, and we were all like in shock. Like, it was weird. It was really, I remember being really weird going to a track meet that day. It was just like, wow. Like, things are about to get weird. Yeah, yeah man. That was like, yeah. I mean, at that point, they were, they were still on top of the world, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and they were, and they were, and we were going to get, we were going to get something that we didn't have before, which would have been a Nirvana record with two guitarists. Like, that was going to be cool. 
Yeah, that would have been actually. I wish been, like, had two guitars. Though. Yeah, man, it would have really like opened up a lot of their music. It would have sounded completely different, but you know, obviously that didn't happen. Unfortunately, um, going back to like the the shows and stuff, though. Uh, what's another show that you remember from the MTV era? Well, my favorites would have been the two the two shows of uh, 120 minutes and Alternative Nation. They were very they were big to me. Uh, I almost felt like they were the same show just different hosts uh they were playing very similar program but they would come on actually 120 minutes was an hour longer than uh than alternative nation because it was uh, 120 minutes long <laughs> but that was uh but they would they were on later at night i think uh i think alternative nation came on at 10 o'clock and 120 minutes might have been about at the same time just different nights of the week but that's where like indie and alternative uh music videos would debut like that's where i saw tool sober video for the first time it's where i saw the uh the primus mr crinkle video for the real first quick time. just i think i remember the tool video in my head it's, is that the claymation one or is that a different tool yes song? okay no that, that, that's 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 it that that's it and it's all black and there's yeah black and white and yeah yeah that's it's a very very cool trippy video and I remember needing to learn how to play it in guitar the uh, the next day. Then realizing, wow, it's actually really, really easy to play. This is cool. Yeah, I didn't watch those shows too often. This is still a little bit like before I really started getting into music. Um, something I was able to watch later on. I don't know how this was early on. I only remember this, like, obviously getting into music a little bit later in the 90s. Headbangers Ball would come on, like, late at night. Like, I would say around midnight or something. And... That show was awesome, man, because they would they would typically play like heavier music at that time. It was Saturday nights at midnight. Yeah, that, host, that sounds right. And the host was Ricky Ratman. <laughs> That's it. And uh, very cool. I, for whatever reason, I went down a Ricky Ratman uh, Wikipedia wor- uh, rabbit hole one uh, one night. And like, I didn't realize that dude had like this really cool, like punk rock background. Like I was actually oh, really? very surprised by Yeah, very surprised by that. And he's like. And he's been in a lot of punk bands. He's he put he's he promotes punk shows out in LA currently. Like that's what he does. And I, I remember like kind of being surprised by that because like to me, Ricky Ratman was like my gateway to heavy metal. Like right. he was the guy who showed me showed me heavy metal records. So it was like really like interesting for me to hear that he was like putting on a, a PSOL show in LA like a couple months before quarantine. Like, like oh that's cool that's what he's doing. And then I then I heard, heard him on a podcast. Hate to plug another podcast, but turned up. You should check it out. I highly recommend. He was on there, and he was talking about his punk rock background, and he said that Headbangers Ball was kind of just like a gig for hire kind of deal, except that he genuinely did love heavy metal. It just wasn't his first love, and I thought that was kind of kind of interesting. I mean, that's awesome. Me, I, I love I, I love punk rock and heavy metal, so I totally get that. I've started getting into like some more stuff that I didn't know about, where like. The genre is kind of fused together, so I probably would be down with any kind of music he was into as well. Yeah, it's 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 funny though. You're bringing up we're bringing up metal, and we were talking about Beavis and Butthead. Not one of my favorite Iron Maiden songs, but when Beavis and Butthead watched that "From Here to Eternity" video, and they're just like, "Yeah, if you want fire, you give Iron Maiden a call." <laughs> <laughs> Maiden doesn't mess around. <laughs> no way, man. The other person so how, doesn't uh, mess around. Oh, go, no, go on, go on. Uh, so another person doesn't mess around, Matt. That's got to be Mr. Carson Daly. 
host of TRL. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's, it's funny. TRL was definitely, um, I mean, even if you did not like the music videos that were getting played on TRL and you were this too cool for school punk rocker, you were watching TRL. It was on, it was on TV when you got home from school and you were putting it on. Yeah, it that came was, on at like what, like four o'clock or something, like four in the afternoon? Came on right after, right, right around the time I'd get home from school and I was putting it on. And usually I was just like, look how stupid this shit is. But then I'm like, eh, I actually kind of like this song. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, that would happen a lot. Like that's that, that was the first time I think I heard, uh, maybe I heard corn on like the radio or something like that. But I just think they remember that era, like corn and, uh, and what's his name? Uh, the other dude with the red hat. Fred Durst is an addict. I don't remember the name. <laughs> Limp Biscuit. Limp Biscuit, sure. I saw him a couple <laughs> years ago and I can't even remember the name of <laughs> Dude, funny Limp Biscuit story. I remember when they played at the Warp Tour, like right before they blew up, and like everybody was just kind of making fun of them. Like this band is awful, not knowing that they were going to go on and sell like 2 billion copies of like their next record. Oh yeah. And they were sharing, they were sharing a merch booth with social distortion. Cause like social distortion was just nice enough to let them <laughs> use their merch booth. Like they didn't, couldn't even afford a merch booth. Jesus. They couldn't even afford people. To, and interesting side note on that. Cause Warped Tour was very mid nineties. So I, I don't feel like this is too off topic, but I remember I bought a social distortion t-shirt and two Lucy's. That is correct. <laughs> social distortion was selling loose small bros. That's freaking awesome. <laughs> I would have bought one too. If I was smoking then, but, I probably uh, would have been if it was that time. But it's funny that talking about TRL, uh, Carson Daly on the set of TRL made a cameo in one of my top 10 favorite movies, which is Josie and the Pussycats. I've never watched that. I heard it was very good. I've seen it no less than a thousand times. Oh my god! I'll I'll probably watch it tonight. It's on HBO Max. It always is. And then whenever I can't find anything to put on, I'm just going. You know what? I'm going to put on Josie again. And not only not only is the movie awesome, the record, the soundtrack is just incredible. It's all original music by the uh, the girl from Letters to Cleo. And it's produced by Babyface. So it's like this pop punk with great female vocals and produced by Babyface. Kind of wild. I, 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 I uh, just have to throw that out there that uh, the Josie and the Pussy soundtrack, uh, Josie and the Pussycat soundtrack is a uh, one of my all time favorite records. Yeah, I will say this though uh, about uh, Limp Biscuit. When I saw them live, I was not like they get they got added to this bill, so they weren't even supposed to play. I found out like a, maybe like a month before they just got thrown into the show, and I was like, "Whatever, man, I'll watch Limp Biscuit." Dude, they put on a fucking show, and I could not believe that crowd was probably more into Limp Biscuit than just about anybody else that played to that day. Like even the headliner, like it was unbelievable how well that they played and how well the crowd responded. I couldn't. I, it was something else. No, what's funny, what's funny is I, I've, I've talked about my, uh, the record store I worked at. I found out through another podcast, one of my old coworkers, that he would closetly listen to Limp Bizkit and would not tell any of us. <laughs> and I was just, and I just remember laughing when he was telling me a story because I'm like, oh yeah, we would have crucified him. That would have been it. It would have been over. Oh man. 
Yeah, I mean, I like some of their songs. I'm not, they're not my favorite band, but I definitely like some of their songs for sure. What are your TRL memories there, bud? I mean, mine is like, uh, all right. So off the top of my head is it, it, like, I've already mentioned like Corn and the Biscuit, but this would have been the time that I really got into Marilyn Manson. He had that one song that was, that was huge. It was off of Mechanical Animals. And I couldn't even tell you what the name of the huge song was. They played it a lot. And I didn't, I wasn't even that crazy about it. But if you listen to that record, that was, I think it was probably his best record that he's ever made. Other people would argue that his earlier stuff was better, which I, I understand. That whole thing like got me into Manson. So that was fucking awesome. Then the other two things I would say were probably like, I mean, the biggest thing was probably like the pop songs, which we're going to get into shortly, like Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera. I clearly remember all of that very vividly being that young and seeing those girls that stood out in my mind, like, you know, like a sore thumb. So definitely remember that. Those would be like the bigger things that I can remember from that time. And then and then eventually you got into like, I, this is going on a different tangent, but getting into the 2000s, constantly seeing the goddamn boy bands on there all the time was quite annoying. I was so sick of seeing NSYNC, the Backstreet Boys, 90 Degrees constantly be on that show that eventually I stopped watching it clearly because it just, it, it just turned into like a pop station towards the end of things. Now, if you ever just want to ruin somebody's day, just go up to them and sing the, uh, just, just go, quit playing games with my heart. <laughs> and it's over. It'll be in their head for the entire day. So there's my gift to all of you. I'm going to torture you with that. And now you can pass it on. I'm not judging anybody for what they listen to. I'm not trying to anyways. But man, like, even if those songs were popular and catchy, I get that. But they played the hell out of them to the point where it was like, I, I don't want to hear this anymore. Please stop. Please stop. No, I don't know for, for sure. Because it was TRL, Total Request Live. And it just seems like everybody was requesting the same songs, apparently. That, that was a problem. Like they would stay in the top. They would, be, they, would, they would play the top 10 songs. And every day it would be like almost the same 10 songs like for a long time until a new pop song came out. But I do remember, though, but I do remember with that show, it being being very weird that I would, like, turn on MTV after school and, like, seeing, like, social distortion on daytime MTV. I'd be like, what? Like, what's Face going on Face here? was on TRL at one point. Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. Crazy. Like, was, the, the, yeah. The, uh, the blind video would yeah. come on. You know, blind video and social distortion, it would be the... Shoot the I Moon. Was it was when Face to Face put out Shoot the Moon. That was their big thing at that time. I remember the blind video when I was a freshman in high school seeing that on TRL. I remember I remember seeing that when the self-titled record came out. And uh, around that time, they were really, MTV was really pushing social distortion. I was wrong and were, uh, when the angels sing, which was weird to me, because I'm like, wow, social distortion is getting like mainstream, like daytime MTV pop uh, here. And it's kind of, kind of strange. Yeah, I mean, it's cool that they did try to cover some of that music, but like like what you were saying earlier with TRL, eventually it just got killed by pop music and the, the same shit constantly got played on there and then, then people stopped watching it. Another thing that killed things before it was Nirvana. They essentially changed music when they came out and this is going to kick off getting into the 90s alternative. Uh, this is the end of glam rock. We're starting to see new things. Nirvana takes stage and the whole world changes musically, at least in my opinion. How do you feel about that? Well, it's very funny that you mentioned that because it, it totally is. That was uh, 
and it wasn't even just the hair and the glam bands that took a hit. It was just, it was metal in general. Like yeah, the metal change in 19, sure. like, like in 1990, MTV's music video awards finale, the big winner of the evening was, was Queensryche silent lucidity. That was the big song. Now here's the funny thing about that. Queensryche is from Seattle, Washington. Now, nobody is going to equate Seattle's music with Queensryche. And I'm a huge Queensryche fan. I've seen them countless times. But it was just, it was the end of an era. It was, it was almost the end of the era. Your, your metal bands took a hit. Obviously, your hair bands took a hit. Nobody, poor, poor Stewart was, he was in trouble. <laughs> you know, nobody was listening to Winger anymore because that smells like Teen Spirit video hit. And it was just like, boom, you know, the world has just changed. And, and it was, what, and what's weird about it is it's not like Nirvana was doing anything that nobody did before. Um, I mean, they, they were, they were writing great three chord pop songs, essentially that were heavy. Right. But they, I mean, you know, it's, but they were in pop structure and you had bands in the eighties dinosaur jr sonic youth that were that were making that sound but nirvana came along and for whatever reason it just hit with the mainstream and smells like teen spirit hit and you could not get away from it it was everywhere and it was a really cool and exciting time yeah i think it was just i think it probably happens every once in a while where collectively like the 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 hive mind of the people were just like so done with everything that happened for like you know not obviously the 80s weren't bad or anything i think everybody was just ready to move on and do something different and that was really like the match to you know to ignite the fire that that would have been been burning you know like they the fuel was already there. Nirvana just lit the match and threw the shit in. Yeah, and and, and it's and I, I, I think like when I was talking about the bands previously, I just don't think maybe people just weren't quite ready for it. Maybe people were maybe. still people were still in the eighties, and it was the time of excess. It was it was uh, look at my cool clothes, and <laughs> I want to do some lines of cocaine. That was the eighties. And here's Kurt Cobain coming were. out looking like a homeless person with his flannel. <laughs> You know, some yeah. torn up jeans and shit, like not looking like he gave a fuck. He might not even showered for a couple days before he came out. <laughs> yeah, like I remember reading an interview with Dave Grohl where he said, you know, Nirvana, we weren't doing anything that Husker Du didn't do 10 years earlier. It just, you know, just, I guess America wasn't ready for it. And, you know, then all of a sudden it was, there it was. And uh, me as a, uh, you know, 11, 12 year old kid, I could not be more susceptible to attracted being attracted to that going back and getting into music later it connected even more with me because I, again i got into music a little bit later so like watching this video in high school and shit i was just like oh my god like there's so much energy and shit and being a teenager and having like you know a bunch of angst and shit and being mad at the way the world was and not understanding why shit happens the way it did like that was like having music like that was like a total like release like this is amazing and then you know showing them like rocking out in like a school and just like you know essentially destroying that gymnasium by the end of that that video it, it was a low budget video and it, it clearly didn't cost like a ton to make but it will forever stick in your mind like you, just, you know similar to like that what a man video that wasn't like the most that wasn't like a huge budget or anything but like you'll remember it once you see it 
Yeah, and, uh, and, and we can't talk about Smells Like Teen Spirit without talking about the Weird Al parody Smells Like Nirvana. And that <laughs> video was, it was, that video was so great. And they even got the same janitor. He even got the same janitor. <laughs> Dude, we can have like a whole guy. show on Weird Al. I have, a, I have love Weird Al. He's great, man. Oh, uh, Weird, Weird Al, Weird Al is, a, uh, is an absolute genius. Um, I, I could talk, I could do a whole episode on Weird Al originals that aren't parodies <laughs> that are just done in the theme of like somebody like, like, uh, Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo famously said that his favorite Devo song is Weird Al Yankovic's Dare to be Stupid. <laughs> and it's so not awesome. even a Devo song. It was just Weird Al being like, Hey, I want to do a song like Devo. That's awesome, man. Yeah. What, yeah. what a talented guy. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> The other Jeez. thing that, that really that really kicked things off, clearly we're talking about the Seattle music scene a moment ago with Queensryche and then uh, you know Nirvana. Pearl Jam came out of this time uh, also in 1991, which is when the, uh, the uh, Smells Like Teen Spirit video came out. They released Jeremy, which was a very powerful video for that time and another video that you know, I'll forever remember. Do you remember watching that like around that period of time, or is this something you watched later on? Like, what were your thoughts on that? Oh, I I I remember watching that video for the first time. Like, I remember watching it, and I want to say it was summer of nineteen ninety two ish, somewhere around there. I just remember the classroom almost looking like an art exhibit. Like if I go to like a and an, like if I go to like an art exhibit now and just like the whites and the reds and sometimes you have like the brown table brown tables, I just remember that's what the, when I see that I think of the Jeremy video. What's What's funny is everything everything in that school looked miserable. Like and I get that that was the point of the video obviously and and the song, but to me that was just like that's how every school that I've ever been in felt like. Like it just felt fucking miserable to be there it was miserable and cold but yet it was pretty mm. it's the video is very pretty it's 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 i mean meme can be pretty you know it's it, it's definitely not when i say pretty i don't mean that it's happy it's quite the opposite right it's just something there's something very pretty about it it looks very nice aesthetically it looks very nice yeah, that, that, I don't know, that video is just really powerful, like, in, you know, I don't feel like a lot of people talk about, like, not to say that people don't talk about other things, but I feel like things like the subject of love gets touched on all the time in music. Obviously, there's good reason for that. But to, to have something so different, like, that's really what stood out to me. Like, this video was so different, talking about something so deeper than most of the stuff, you know, that I was used to seeing at the time. Not to say that they didn't exist, because there was other videos that did. But this video just hit me in a different way. It was also, if you notice, if you listen to Jeremy on the radio, they never bleep out fuck. I think they it's, started doing that later on, but they definitely did not do that back no, in the day. Because people didn't hear him, like what he was saying. I don't think they could understand that he was saying fuck. No, but there's, there's two songs. There's two songs in musical history that I know of. There, there's probably a few more, but there's two that always stick out to me that they don't bleep out the fuck. Jeremy seemed like a harmless little fuck and the who's who the fuck are you like that's just on classic rock radio all the time just throwing out the fuck like just throwing it out there 
But yeah, that and Jeremy, they're the two. They're, they're for whatever reason, the FCC is cool with them. Yeah, that's that's bizarre, man. I wonder why. I don't. It's so strange. But yeah, Seattle was definitely uh, definitely doing uh, big things there, obviously, because you know, Soundgarden had some banger videos. Oh, I mean, Black Hole Sun, like that's another video. Who can forget? Yeah, and it was almost like a build-up to the Black Hole Sun video because uh, the previous record you had the uh, you had the Rusty Cage video, which was really cool. Johnny Cash did a great cover of it. That's oh yeah, both both of those renditions are excellent. I, I couldn't even tell you which one I liked more, but they're yeah, probably Johnny Cage's action or Johnny Johnny Cage. <laughs> Johnny Cage. <laughs> Johnny Cage wins fatality. I'm also on the video game show. If you guys didn't notice, sorry about that. It, it creeped together. <laughs> Johnny Cage. <laughs> Country legend Johnny Cage, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, that, that uh, well, I mean, Rick Rubin was just doing amazing things with Johnny Cash from the moment they met in the 1993 to to Johnny's passing, and they even put out two, they even released two records after Johnny's passing. But the but but going back to the Soundgarden video, I remember the Rusty Cage video just being really really neat, and then being so excited when uh, the new Soundgarden came out and that Spoonman uh, video hit. And I remember thinking that was thinking that was like the coolest thing I had seen up to that time, even though it was just a guy rocking spoons, you know, <laughs> and then and it was actually the guy it was actually the spoon man that wrote the song about some guy in Seattle that just stands on the street playing spoons. Oh, I didn't know that. And That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cool story behind that. And then and then the Black Hole Sun video hit and was just like, whoa, what is this? I mean, to me, I, I don't I didn't research this, so. It may be it may be accurate. It may not be accurate, but it, this looks like something Tim Burton would have made. This reminds me, like as soon as I see, it, I think of like Edward Scissorhands and shit. Oh, what's funny is I'm gonna have to see who did that. I I, I don't think it was Tim Burton, but let me I I just because I want to know because now but it I'm looks like really doesn't curious. it look like something Tim Burton would have made if he made a music sure, video? Sure, sure, a little too bright, but then again, he's made bright movies. Edward Scissorhands is bright at times. Obviously, mm-hmm. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is bright at times. But I just normally think of uh, oh, Big Fish was a bright old movie. But I, I normally Big think Fish was of, awesome, uh, awesome movie, yeah, great movie, great movie. I just normally think of Tim Burton with blacks and whites and grays. But um, let me see, Black Hole Sun video director. Well, it's actually the first result. The guy was. Um, Howard Greenlaw was the guy's name, and I can't find anything else that he did. So, kudos, but kudos to him because he might have went on uh, to like video. do movies or something. Like I can, That's I can I'm see his to... career kind of going on an upward trajectory after doing that video. He did okay. I found he did he did some uh, Pet Shop Boys videos. He really only did videos. That's uh, it's kind of crazy. He did a placebo video in two thousand and nine. Oh, dude, I love placebo. They're awesome, man. Was that the that oh, on the Meds record? It was the Battle for the Sun record, the one they put out after Meds. Oh, okay, okay. But this guy made some cool videos. He did uh, he did one for Maiden, uh, the Rainmaker video. That's cool. Uh, looks like in the eighties, he did a lot of. Uh, he was doing. He was hanging out with uh, the Pet Shop Boys and Big Country. That's cool. That is cool. Good for him. I just yeah. can't believe he never did like. A, like I don't know, man. Black, Black Hole Sun was such a the way it shot. The, like the way every, I love the way everybody's faces like you have like those like they extend like the smiles and they change people's faces and shit. That is so cool. So cool. That's a video. I, I don't even know if I rewatched it when I saw it on the list because I was just like, oh, I've seen that video 
seven million times and it is perfectly stamped in my brain. That's probably another one that deserves to be on the epic 90s videos once we get there. One that I would say would not be there, but also is definitely relevant at the time is REM's Losing My Religion. Okay, see, see, I have a, um, I have a strange relationship with this. It was very exciting for me when this blew up and it was like the biggest thing out there because REM, REM is one of my favorite bands of all time. They would, be a, they would be a top 10 favorite band ever for me, maybe even top five. But I just remember kind of having, that was like my first relationship with being annoyed when everybody else likes something you like. <laughs> that was like that thing. I've, I've eventually grown out of that. But I remember really not liking this record because it was so damn popular and you couldn't get away from it. And now I listen to it quite regularly. I love this record. I love this song. The video is just, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful to look at. Again, going back to Jeremy, where I was talking about aesthetics, like it's just kind of a perfect video. It almost feels like a short film. Yeah, it's it's all set on like, a, it looks like it's like, it looks like it's on a set and like they're just, they have like props and stuff around and like, they're not like showing it as, they're showing it almost like behind the scenes. Like this is how you like build a set and do different stuff. You know, they, they have like the angel wings and things like that. It definitely stands out in your mind as being different because it was so, it was pretty low budget, man. Like they didn't do anything spectacular in that video, but it, it, it burned itself into your head. Yeah, but whoever was working on it were very talented people. Like that's, and it was a labor of love, you know? Right. It didn't and need it to be a high budget video, not for that song, you know? It would have been weird probably if it was a high budget video. Yeah, well, it would be weird. It would be weird for REM because REM were kind of, lo-fi indie band that just somehow became this like gigantic act like that I don't that, that was never in the cards for them they were never planning on that they actually had at one time had a meeting about where the band what the band was supposed to do this was like maybe 1987 where their decisions were to either break up or just kind of do it as a weekend warrior kind of thing like we, we have other jobs we 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 have, we, we need lives. We're not, music is not going to be our livelihood, but we do like playing with each other. We like playing shows and we like writing songs. So that was where they were going to go. And then Document came out and kind of blew up with, you know, it's the end of the world as we know it. And then they trudged forward. I, I came to that band late as well. Then the same thing with Live, <clears throat> who uh, I kind of equivalent to each other all the time, like I, probably because they were just super popular around the same time. But live and then both, I was not really into until I got much older. Probably like in my 30s is when I started listening to like REM and live. And man, they have some really good songs, both of them. Yeah, those honestly, the, the REM uh, <clears throat> discography that they did um, before they made the major label jump to Warner, their, uh, ca their, their, their catalog on IRS records, I would put up with any band that ever existed. I just think it's some of the best music ever put out. And then going towards like, I would say something that's, this is, this video is very different. So this video, I would say probably had more of like a medium to, I wouldn't say high budget. I guess I would say medium budget because there was a lot, a lot of editing and stuff involved, but this was the first time I've ever heard of them. This is the first time I saw them was Weezer's Buddy Holly, which is a song that I absolutely loved. And I enjoyed the video quite a bit. They had like a whole happy days themes. They even like, you know, I'm guessing they like edited in like parts of Happy Days. Like the Fonz was in there. Obviously, that wasn't <laughs> that wasn't Henry Winkler at that time 
doing the font, they like they incorporated it into the video, like they meshed the things together in the editing process, which I thought was super cool. It's a very interesting video, and it kind of represents the band at that time perfectly. Because if you remember the video that came out before that would have been a sweater song. That was kind of the song that launched Weezer to where, you know, hey world, we're Weezer. But that video felt more like a Nirvana video. It was, yeah. uh, it, it, didn't, it didn't feel like Weezer. That's uh, a great the point. Weezer, the Weezer Buddy Holly video, that was like, hi, we are fucking Weezer. This is, this is who we are. We're having fun. We're writing songs in our garage, but they're going to make you want to hop and skip and dance. And I mean, when you think about it, there aren't many bands. I can't really think of any besides Weezer off the top of my head that almost became a genre in themselves. Like other bands that you're just like, oh, they're kind of like Weezer rock. <laughs> like Weezer rock is a thing. Yeah, like, it's almost like like I I think people would describe it as like nerd rock or something like that. But like, I'm, like, uh, like I know. Like I know there were some bands uh, I was I, I was talking about that I, I that to me I, that's how I described them Weezer rock like uh, that band Weston I was talking about that I love so much pop punk but they're definitely Weezer rock they're definitely have they wear their Weezer fandom on their sleeve and you can tell there that whole time uh, there was just there was a lot of those bands that were like Weezer just yeah. kind of made it cool like, to, like not like, a surf pop popular that that song oh, oh, uh, is definitely, like definitely, definitely Weezer esque. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We're we're gonna play Fender Stratocasters, and it, 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 we're we're gonna you know we're not we're not trying to be the toughest guys in the world. We're we're but we're gonna we're gonna write songs that you're gonna remember. Yep. And that that was uh, that was definitely what Weezer was doing, and I love the Buddy Holly video. Yeah, me too, and man. Yeah, and it's just kind of funny though. It's like thinking about them and even like Pearl Jam. There's some of these bands that are that made these videos that we're talking about. And then their next records would have zero videos because they were like, we hate music videos now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was definitely a turn for them for sure when they put out Pinkerton, which nobody loved at first. And now everybody adores that album. That was the record that got me into Weezer. <laughs> to be truthful, I, I, I did like I liked Weezer's Blue album a lot, but what that's Pinkerton, I never listened to. Like I, I liked a couple of Weezer songs. I got more into music, like I said, later. When I went back and started listening to Weezer, I got the Blue Album first. And like, oh, this, this is pretty good. And so I was like, now you got to listen to Pinkerton. I was like, all right, listen to Pinkerton. I was like, oh my God, this is 10 times better than the Blue Album. Like, how the fuck did this not, how was this not a bigger thing? Subject material, I would say. It's a much more personal record. People weren't really ready for personal until 2000. That makes I feel sense. Like, I feel like that record was kind of uh, two or three years before its time. Is kind of how I feel about Pinkerton. Late 90s, early 2000s was more of their, you know, emo hits and people are all about the personal shit. And Pinkerton just kind of was like it kind of on its island of its own. But that was the record I borrowed from a friend senior year of high school, 2000, and just fell in love with it. And then I was like, oh, let me go back and listen to that thing I didn't like when it came out, which was the Blue Album. And I, my God, this is this, this is like the masterpiece. Like, I love this record. Well, there, there was a, there was a few songs. You're, you're, I, I agree with you for the most part that, that, you know, having like a more serious tone didn't break through too much in the nineties, but one song that definitely did, uh, which was the first video I remember seeing from them. I'm sure it probably wasn't their first video, but it was the one that stands out most in my mind was no doubts. Don't speak where they're basically just playing in the garage, but that song is obviously deeply personal. Yeah. I remember 
that wasn't the first one I saw there. The first one I saw there would have been the uh, Just the Girl video. And actually, my introduction to the band was when they were playing live at the MTV Beach House and they were doing, they did Just the Girl and a cover of Sailing On by Bad Brains. And I was just like, yo, who is this? They band? Bad got Brains singer? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow. they, 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 they got a hot singer and they're covering Bad Brains. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go buy this record. You know, <laughs> that, was, that was my. That was my introduction to No Doubt. Yeah, man, that I won't go on a tangent this time. I'm going to leave it at this. But Tragic Kingdom, in my opinion, is one of the best records I've ever heard in my life, like start to finish. Tragic Kingdom is like almost a perfect record, if not a perfect record in my mind. Uh, I mean, teach their own. I kind of grew out of No Doubt pretty quick. <laughs> but uh, but they but they but they definitely left. I mean, they will to say they to say to say they didn't leave an end you know indelible uh mark on pop culture would be a lie because they absolutely did it was a they, they were a very big deal there and i do remember that don't speak video and I, I remember really liking it at the time when that when that when when tragic kingdom was a thing i definitely i definitely was on board you gotta go back and listen to the whole thing man start to finish i'm telling you that album was great i know you're not crazy about 90s like uh ska but man I truly love that album a lot. Yeah, well, now you ska that I like, I love. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Like, you know, speaking of ska videos to go on real quick, man, that uh, that Boss Tones impression that I get video was pretty damn cool. I, I like that. Yeah, I, that I was, was a, cool I was a fan video. of that. And I remember, I, again, remember thinking, uh, getting mad when people start liking things that I liked. I'm like, ooh where were you two years ago when I had my Boston <laughs> shirt? And then, and I remember telling my brother, like the backlash of that song amongst fans, because it was just so popular. And my brother's like, I don't get it. It's just kind of a great song. And I'm like, you know what? It is. It's just a great song. I think that's something that happens to you when you're older. I think you try to be like cooler by knowing things oh, that other people don't know. And like, as you get yeah. older, it's just like, well, I'd rather you guys just know this because it's kind of cool. Like you should probably just, check this out yeah, yeah yeah it's like it's like when the phillies won the world series and like there were fans mad at like the front runners i'm like why are you mad at the front runners i don't want there to be like six people at the parade i want everybody on board have fun it's a party yeah who cares man like whatever let's switch gears Let, let's get into something disgusting nine inch nails closer holy shit what video my there, there's not a video like this that i can even think of that is like I, how do you describe this video? Um, 1970s German horror film made in the 90s. <laughs> to think that this was on mainstream daytime MTV is absolutely mind-boggling. Like, I remember, uh, you know, the, the record before this one, uh, Broken, the, uh, the big video for Nine Inch Nails was Wish. And that was just kind of uh, just not, not a whole lot going on. There wasn't anything spectacular about it, but it was cool. And I, I, was, I became a fan of the band. And I became a fan of Trent and whatever he was doing immediately. But when the Closer video hit, it was one of those videos I had to like kind of turn off the TV if my mom was coming in the room. Not because she would like be mad at me for watching it, but just because I was be kind of embarrassed, like just kind of like a not embarrassed by the quality because obviously it's a masterpiece, but just kind of like I don't want to see my mom to see that I'm watching this. Like it was just kind of weird like that. 
I mean, as soon as the video starts out, it's the heart that has like a beat to the music and then it starts like squirting at the blood a little bit. Like, oh, it's so awesome. It's so cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Trent's a, Trent's a genius. He made his own videos and it shows like he's he, that. I, 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 I'm trying, I'm like kind of like at a loss for words. Like I remember the, there, there was, there was quite a few videos off that record. There was the, uh, the, the, the March of the Pig video comes to uh, mind, but closer, closer could have been entered in a film festival and won an award for short film. Yeah. Yeah, man. I could definitely see it. I mean, that, that is really like watching a film. Like even if you like, obviously there's a song there you get, you can turn off the song and just watch it and be like, Oh my God, what the hell is happening? Like imagine tripping balls and then watching that video. You'd be so freaked out by the end of it. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, you're, you'd be like, help me out. I need something. I need to pick me up. Give me the black hole sun video. <laughs> Seriously, man. Give me Jeremy. Be... Give me Jeremy. I need to cheer up. I mean, there's, there's, there's few videos I would say to that caliber though. I mean, that, that video is so crazy, man. Like what a, and when he did creepy things like when he had himself suspended on those wires like just spinning around like the way his body was like contorted was like who how did you think of that why did you know that that would be creepy like how did you get that image inside your head like oh i should do this and this will be weird and people will like it It, again man the 90s were a special time it it was like it, it here's it always blows my mind that like Nine Inch Nails' Pretty Hate Machine came out in the 80s. Like, that is a mind-blowing thing because Nine Inch Nails is just so ingrained as a 90s act. But, like, Pretty Hate Machine, Head Like a Hole, that's, that's 80s jams. America was not ready. The world was not ready until the downward spiral hit the world and gave us closer i got i got nothing but good things to say but if you guys haven't watched closer just go and you can watch the whole thing on youtube it's an uncensored version so you can say fuck um if you haven't seen that video or if it's just been a long time you need to go back and watch it it is truly something special i'd like to uh take a take a rewind uh back to the very beginning of the decade one of my favorite videos would be the the faith no more epic video that's a great video and, and this is a, a, a good video to really see the 80s converging into the 90s because they still have like an 80s look, but they have like a 90s kind of sound, but still like, it's like the 80s is, is like grasping desperately to hold on and the 90s is pulling it away. And you can like feel that throughout the video. Oh, for sure. I mean, Faith No More is one of those bands that is very much associated with the 1990s, but they did come out in the 80s. Epic was their big coming out party and that was 1990 and it makes sense because there still is this definite, you're right. It, there's, there's, there's a, there's an eighties vibe to it, but that fish flopping around is so nineties. Like that's such a nineties thing. It almost, almost feels like that would be in the Trent Reznor video, you know, yeah. but their, their outfits, very eighties. And the fact that they're, you know, they're, they're mixing the, you know, the, the, the hip hop with, the, with the, uh, with the metal riffs, that feels very 1980s, but yet it's still like, okay, we're, we're a new decade here. We're in a new, we're in a new place. So that's one that I think the way you, 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 uh, you, you describe that is perfect. That is, it's the perfect, it's, it's, it's the intersection. It's the, it's the middle of the road there with the, uh, it's, it's the crossing of the, uh, the eighties into the nineties. 
yeah go back and watch it guys check it out and you'll, you'll see you'll see and hear exactly what i'm talking about like that's the best way i can describe that video it's a good video too and a good song yeah and, a, and another one that that i love a lot that it was this was uh this was another one that would, it was very weird for me that i would that i that would come on trl uh but I remember watching it on New Year's Eve, very late at night at my uh, buddy's house. And that was the Bad Religion 21st Century Digital Boy video. Now, this was a video and... I wasn't familiar with. I had to watch it for the first time, you know, actually for, for this, the purpose of the show. And yeah, man, that was, a, that was an interesting video, to say the least. 21st Century Digital Boy video and Infected both got heavy play on a daytime MTV which is unfortunate because they seem to think it's necessary to play those songs at every single show you go to. But this was my introduction. This was my introduction to bad religion. This was, this was the moment when I watched the video and just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Like the video had the impact the, 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 the baby just watching the TV as these, what looks like the blue man group are rocking out. Yeah. It's like blue TV. sand that they're kind of like being, like coming yeah. out of and then going back into it's very it's a very interesting video and me and my friends were just like our minds were just blown like i i say it was my equivalent of people watching the beatles on the ed sullivan show because i had to go out and buy that record the next day i had listened to other punk rock bands before i was already a misfits fan i was already a descendants fan but this was like the time when i realized this is what I want to be in. This is the music I want to be a part of. And it was like, it was the day you saw the Guns N' Roses posters come off the wall. It was the day I, I, I was no longer this rock and roll kid. I was a punk rocker. And that was, <laughs> it was, it was watching that Bad Religion 21st Century Digital Boy video. Yeah, Bad Religion is something spectacular. They have so many great songs. The, the video particularly to stay with the topic so I don't get off track and start talking about all the Bad Religion songs that I love so much. They're, they're one of my favorite bands for sure, just, just like you. But the, the baby in front of the TV just being like a, basically like just very obvious if you're not paying attention. It was just saying that like we've turned techno like technology is basically raising our children at this point. Like that's, that's what they said back then, back then before yes. smartphones and tablets. Yes, and, and it's funny, and it's funny is that the song was on, a, was on a previous album five years before that, and then they redid it for Stranger Than Fiction. But yeah, that's what they were saying, and that was part of the appeal for me, was that this band was saying something. And that was, that was the cool thing about the 90s, too, is that intellectualism was definitely a, uh, was definitely a positive. It, was a, it, was a, it, was, it wasn't going back to Weezer. Nerdiness was okay. yeah. And like you, saying something different, like I said, like that Jeremy video sticks out more than most because they just said something different. You know, it wasn't the same love song that you're used to or breakup song or whatever. It was really something different. So I can definitely, if I would have watched that back then, I'm sure I would have gotten into it the same way. And I wish I would have known about them earlier, but obviously I got them. I think I started listening to Bad Religion in high school, which would have been a few, you know, a few years after this record. Yeah, they, were, they, they instantly became my world. It was one of those things. That was the first time I found out about, uh, you know, internet bulletin boards and things you know for all you youngins they, they were your facebook <laughs> groups before facebook oh uh, i do want to mention a couple of videos i i want to I do them in like a quicker succession if that's okay with you just to kind of i don't want to necessarily group these together but there's a lot of alternative things i mean we could be here all day 
just under the alternative yeah. subject. Sure. I just want to give a shout out to like the Foo Fighters, uh, Everlong, Green Day's Basket Case when they're playing in like the, the mental institution. Everlong had like that dream sequence going back to that for a second where like the guy just kept dreaming and waking up and like different shit would happen. That was really cool. Blind Melon, No Rain. 1993 was excellent also another another strange video with the child dancing like a like a in like a bee outfit and oh that's iconic that video was that video that video was very cool great record too i would i would go back and uh i would I'd recommend going back and listening to that record it's, it's very it's very good very good record go back and watch the video you'll clearly see that there was drugs involved <laughs> yeah well of course shannon <laughs> hoon met his demise uh yeah r.i.p yeah unfortunately but i mean you could i mean clearly they were somebody was high when they made that video that video is fucking strange it's cool but it's strange <laughs> the verbs bittersweet symphony was an excellent video where he's just walking down the street essentially walking into people people are walking to him he's walking into other people you know saying if a lot about ever society want to, if you ever want to see the best use of a steady cam not in john carpenter's halloween 1978 it's the Verve Bittersweet Symphony video. That is just an amazing use of a, of a Steadicam on a dolly, which honestly is a very simple effect. But man, when it's done right, it's just really cool. Yeah. And that, I mean, the, the song was obviously, dude, that, that video had like, oh God, I want to say it was over half a, like, like almost like half a billion views or something like that. Like 600 million that. views or something, like an insane amount. Well, it's it's funny. You do you do know you do know about the lawsuit regarding that song, right? No, I don't. Yeah. So basically, that song, the whole the whole uh, melody that we all love so much, was just a sample from a Rolling Stones from a roll an instrumental Rolling Stones album. The Rolling Stones did not put it out, but it was uh, it's the it's the, it's the Rolling Stones song, the last time. Oh, really? And there was a yeah, there was a guy who put out a instrumental record of rolling stone songs and the verve used that as a sample so now if you look at the uh the credits the songwriting credits on that uh song mick jagger and keith richards get songwriting credits oh wow that's crazy man i'm sure they made some money off of it too yeah so just a little bit of uh interesting trivia of useful stuff that i know that's crazy that's that's very interesting though three other great songs from that that section of time i would say you brought up the breeders cannonball so i'll let you talk about that in a moment then jim blossoms hate jealousy and one for me that was big was prodigy but talk about what you want to in those three i would say um, prodigy just made some really cool videos dude smack my bitch up yeah firestarter and and firestarter and i remember having a friend from england who had been talking about prodigy for for a little while and like how I'd really like them. And it was just kind of one of those things where I, I, I didn't really, I, I just, it wasn't somebody whose taste I really trusted. And gotcha. then when I saw the fire starter, fire starter video, it was just like, Whoa. Okay. All right. He was right. Dave was right. I do apologize, Dave. I doubt you're listening, but I apologize. <laughs> you never know. Yeah, man. Prodigy with- was like huge for me. Like I, I listened to the hell out of that record. Uh, I didn't listen to really them before that, but I've heard a lot of their older stuff is, is better. There was a weird t- thing with their name. I don't know if you can, you, you might know more than I did, but during this time, they just called themselves Prodigy. And then before that, they were called The Prodigy. And after this, I think they went back to being called The Prodigy again. Is that correct? Am I wrong? Or what the hell happened with that? 
you know, I don't have too much of the prodigy or prodigy in my encyclopedia. So I'm okay. not entirely, uh, I'm not entirely sure. That's probably a fun thing to read up on though. Yeah, um, it was weird. Why as... would they have it, then lose it? And then I think they ended up taking it back again. Yeah, there might have been some sort of uh, legal issue there, but I can't imagine. I don't, or maybe it was just easy in America to just say prodigy. Oh, so, yeah. Because they probably, I think they lost Bill Prodigy right around the time they, 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 uh, they broke out in the, in the States. Oh, yeah. When that, when that, when that record came out, they were just called Prodigy. And I think that was the first point that they were called Prodigy. Yeah. As far as, uh, the breeders go, uh, that Cannonball video was just kind of very, very minimalistic. But I just remember being like, thinking it was the coolest thing that, there's Kim Deal, just this chick, just rocking out and falling in love with that band. And then, of course, I would become a bigger fan of hers when I would get into the Pixies. Oh, I didn't know she was another Pixies. Really... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No She's a bass player for the Pixies. Yeah, that's awesome. Kim Deal. Yeah. So that's another. That's another great '90s video. Would be the Pixies. Here comes your man. Video. Talk about a perfect pop song. That's just one of the greats. As far as. Um, and as far as Jim Blossom's Hey Jealousy goes, I just remember thinking that was just kind of such a kind of a, you know, I don't want to say a perfect song, but it kind of is, you know, I, that's, that's it's definitely I catchy. It's when I always want to do a karaoke and it's, uh, you could tell songwriting just came naturally to them. Without a doubt. And I, I would be remiss. They're one of those bands that I, I, Jim Blossom's one of those bands that I, uh, I catch a lot of flack for, for, for really digging. I have seen them like six times. They're, they're great every time. I think they're uh, good. I don't, I don't know why I need to give you flack for it. I think they're good. Yeah. Well, well, there, there's a few, there's a couple of 90s bands that people do that with. And another one that we didn't write down and I don't know how we didn't write down because they had some pretty big songs and they had one extremely iconic video and it's a band that I love very much. And that would be soul asylum. And oh, yeah, we didn't mention it at all. Yeah, I know. And it's weird for me. I mean, the runaway train video, you couldn't get away from that. And it saved some kids. Like there were some kids who were uh, found because of that song. And, and it's funny is that a lot of people will write them off as a one hit wonder. And I'm like, no, they had a bunch of hits on that record. They had black gold, which had a really cool video They had leave without a trace. They had uh, somebody to shove, which I think is one of the great songs, but here's the kicker. They're, they have, a bunch of hits they only have one number one and that was actually on their next record and their number one hit their only song to ever hit number one in america was misery mm. which had a very cool video as well and i love their discography more of their discography pre their hits but their hits were fun and they were very much part of the 90s and i can't believe that i did not mention soul asylum before we get to show notes oh it's fine i mean we're gonna we're just definitely look there, people are going to probably leave comments and stuff about bands you missed. That's up to you. Like, that's fine. Yeah, I don't um, think that's part of the fun. Right. We're not going to be able to, we're not going to be able to mention every single band that had any sort of relevance in the 90s. We're just doing the ones that really stood out to us. So if we yeah. forget a band, clearly that's going to happen at some point. So yeah, you can leave a comment and let us know. Just don't be an asshole. That'd be cool. <laughs> um, but one last major one uh, under alternative, which this band is going to be under different genres depending on the song. But Beastie Boys Sabotage from 1994, what, what an awesome, awesome video. Um, I would say it's probably one of the more iconic videos of that era. But obviously, Beastie Boys is like a hip-hop band uh, from New York City. Uh, they started out in the, the 80s, 
uh, with more like old school style. Obviously, their, their sound evolved over time. But this was clearly a rock song, uh, you know, alternative song that they were essentially also rapping on. Well, they started, well, well if, you, if, you, if you want to uh, talk about Beastie Boy Origins, they started out as a hardcore band, took their name because they wanted to have the initials of Bad Brains. Oh, um, I did not know that. Yes, yes, that's where it comes from. Uh, MCA produced uh, the second to last Bad Brains record uh, before he passed. But yeah, the sabotage video, God damn. That's a uh, that's a top five, if not top two or three greatest music video of all time. Those uh, characters that they portray in the uh, in 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 the video, they're making fun of like, like, like Magnum PI or something, right? Something like that. I would even think before that. I would think even more like your Kojaks or your. Like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, but like. Yeah, it's it's definitely supposed to be those those gritty crop dramas, you know. <laughs> exactly. And, and, you have the big mustaches, those, the aviators. <laughs> yeah, and those and those yeah, those costumes are ridiculous. And I it, it, it's one of those things where I feel like they could have hosted SNL as those characters. <laughs> and it would have been the greatest have. episode of all time. It would have just played those characters in every scene. <laughs> yeah, like. Like they'd be that it would be such a meta thing. Like it would be like the character as another character. Like I think it would be the coolest. Absolutely, man. And that song just it hits you, man. It's so dude, good, so good. That, dude, that whole album is great. It, it, I mean, honestly, uh, if you've never listened to you know the the uh, the Beastie Boys Ill Communication record, buy it yesterday and listen to it start to finish. I think it's their best record. And I know I'm going to catch a lot of crap for that, but I think it's the best Beastie Boys record ever made. Yeah, I've listened to a lot of their songs, but not like full records front to back. So I couldn't speak to that myself. Um, Sabotage is one of my favorite songs by them. I, I do like, I think Intergalactic might be my favorite song from them just because it was a different time and era. But I could totally see someone picking, you know, Party or Sabotage for sure. And really, real quick note, cool one, cool, cool show story was right after uh, this record came out, uh, the Beastie Boys put out a compilation called Some Old Bullshit, which was just, <laughs> um, which was just a compilation of their early uh, hardcore punk demos and their first Cookie Puss, the Cookie Puss demo, which was their first hip hop record. And they did a couple surprise shows for it. And one of them was at the Electric Factory in Philly. So I got to go see the Beastie Boys do a fucking hardcore set. One of my first shows. That's so awesome, man. So we just discussed alternative music for quite a while, John. Let's switch up gears. Let's talk about the other another big category from the 90s, which is clearly pop music. You know, whether you love it or hate it, it was huge at that time. Where do you want to start out with the pop songs? Well, I mean, pop music is big in every decade. It's just uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's the fabric. It's That's just true. the fabric, man. Um, and it's pop popular music. Yes, exactly. Uh, there, there were some great videos. Um, I mean, in the early part of the decade, again, if you want to talk about bridging the decades, that uh, that Madonna Vogue video was kind of, uh, I believe it was 1990 is it when was. that came out. Mm -hmm. And you want to talk about something that was gigantic. I mean, Madonna's talking about something that just transcends decades. You know, oh, yeah. Madonna put, put out something tomorrow and it'll be the biggest thing out there for, for a little while. But uh, but I but I'll I I'll, I remember that Vogue video very 
very vividly. It, I remember just being part of the culture. Yeah, it was all shot in black and white, like her and like a bunch of dudes. I don't even know if there's other chicks in the video. I can't remember. I think it was just her and a she's bunch doing, of dudes. And she's doing the thing with her hands. And oh yeah, and, and everybody was and everybody was doing that for everybody was doing that for a good five years. Yeah, definitely. And this song does, like when you were saying bridge, it does sound like something that is is of that era. Like it still sounds, it still has like an eighty sound, but it's also something different. Like you can start to see that the the change in popular music at that time. Yeah, it's. Uh... Well, I mean, the last, I, I guess our last major hit of the 80s, I guess, I don't know, I'll probably catch crap for this too. It was probably a couple after she had so many damn hits, was uh, Like a Prayer, which I was thinking was 90s. I was like, how did we think of that? Then I'm like, no, that was like 88 or so. But that almost felt more 90s than uh, both, which is kind of strange, that video. No, it's, it's kind of weird thinking, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it, but it was, it was a bridge and you kind of like, kind of got a vibe that Madonna was doing something different. She wasn't, uh, she wasn't material girl anymore. She was, she was more sophisticated. It's a very sophisticated video. Definitely was very iconic. though. something you'll, you'll remember once you see it one time, especially like it being shot in black and white really made it stand out because I don't remember a lot of videos really doing that. At least the entire video, maybe a section of a video was shot in black and white, but this, this whole video from start to finish was black and white. Yeah, th that's one I'll probably, I'm kind of going to look up to see who the director was. Because <laughs> I feel like I'm going to find out that that was, um, that was done by somebody of, of stature. I, I, I don't know why. I'm just kind of getting that vibe. It might have been. Down yeah. Holy shit. David Fincher directed the Madonna Vogue video. I don't know. Did somebody watch that video and go, all right, we want you to direct seven. <laughs> That's crazy. That is That's nuts. crazy. Yeah. I, I was wondering, because I was wondering if it was a Guy Ritchie deal, because Guy Ritchie, she obviously married Guy Ritchie down the road. That's why I was wondering if it was somebody of stature. Fucking David Fincher. That's good shit. Another uh, iconic video, which there, there's color to this, but a lot of it is like black, white, and gray, is Jamiroquai's Virtual Insanity. And I'm not crazy. I, I think the song is okay. I'm not that crazy about the song, but I mean, the video is so friggin' cool. It's awesome. Even if you watch it now. I think it's a good song. I remember Jamiroquai being, being like a thing before this song hit because... People would buy, go to my record store to buy Jamiroquai bootlegs. Like he was one of those people that, or they were one of those bands that people got bootlegs of. So it was like a thing, but I, I just, I, I never had any interest to check it out or explore it. And then that video came on and it was on all the time. And I, I thought it was kind of the coolest. Yeah. I mean, the, so the floor is like moving throughout the entire video and he's kind of moving along with the floor, but it's and also doing a lot of tracking shots and it's back and forth with the moving floor. So it's kind of this crazy thing going on. Right. And he's kind of like moving to the beat of the music also as the floor is moving. Like it's, it's very, it's very unique. I don't remember seeing another video quite like that. It's definitely one of those videos that is so very much a time of the place like yes. that was definitely that was that was my freshman year of high school and that song and that video will always remind me of 
freshman year of high school. And I'm pretty I sure almost he was wondered, like a, a VMA. Like I think that was the video of the year when that came out. I almost wonder too if like uh that was the beginning of the stupid Dr. Seuss hat trend because they kind of <laughs> looked like Jamiroquai hats. Dude, that definitely was because he had that big ass hat on his head that that video. I guarantee you that was the beginning of that. People probably thought that I was super feel cool. like it was. Oh, and you know what? I'm looking up the director, this director's uh, credits. We don't need to touch on this one too much, but it was a cool video. He also directed the Karma Police by Radiohead video. Oh man, that's a great song. Great song. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's, this is this is uh, the, the the technology bad religion was warning us about. You know, I can just sit here while we're talking in discussion and see that David Fincher directed the Vogue video and that this guy also did uh, Karma Police. Oh, he also did. Oh well, he also did uh, one of my favorite videos, which I don't think I don't. I'm not sure if you've ever seen it. Are you familiar with the uh, group Uncle U N K L E? No, not familiar. They have some really, really neat videos. And he did uh, he did a video for Rabbit in Your Headlights, which is a really cool video. Check it out. I recommend. I'll definitely do that. Why we're on the subject of technology, you know, from videos like, like Jamiroquai's, a good thing to shout out, which this doesn't look great for like some of the, the computer graphics at the time, but TLC's Waterfalls at the time was an awesome music video. And this would, well, we talked about where we should categorize it. It probably should be under pop. Um, you know, obviously, like like left eye raps more than everybody else in the group. Yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's a hip hop crossover for sure. Um, but it's, it's a pop song. It, it's, um, yeah. it, I mean, they were definitely going for that '60s girl group deal with TLC, but with kind of a hip hop edge. They, they, they would had try a lot of hits, man. It worked. Yeah, they would, they would, they would try it again years later with uh, Destiny's Child. But TLC really, really, really kind of killed it. I, 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 I make no apologies by saying that I really like TLC. And I thought this video was great. I do remember, though, for a long time, mishearing it and not knowing the name of the song and thought they were saying, don't go Jason Waterfalls. Yeah, it kind of sounds like that. I could, I could see that, but... Yeah, like who's Jason Waterfall? Right? <laughs> why don't they? Why don't they want him to go somewhere? <laughs> Jason, don't go. Jason Waterfalls, don't they, go. They should have incorporated that into a Friday the Thirteenth movie. <laughs> <laughs> like you just run into the camp and there's like waterfalls or something. <laughs> don't go, Jason. Don't go, Jason. Comma waterfalls. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that's the or I'm gonna start writing my screenplay. Yeah, he gets sucked back into the lake. Shit. Yeah, yep. Jason um, takes uh Jason takes uh Niagara. But yeah, I liked how they were dancing in the water and stuff, but like the, the cool part of the video is when they they basically turn into like like a water rendition, like they're they're rendered themselves in like computer graphics, they look like water. And at the time it looked really cool. I remember it looking really cool, but those early computer graphics do not hold up well today. So when you see it, you're just like, oh my God, this looks not good. And it doesn't know, not <laughs> not not everything is Jurassic Park. You know, Jurassic Park strangely somehow still holds up. I don't know how that I don't know how that CG still looks good. But yes, music videos in the 90s that were very CG at the time were like, whoa, this is so cool. And now you look at it and you're like, 
high made for sci-fi movie what's up and then going into something a little bit more basic i mean this is as basic as a mu music video could get but uh, i i love the artist i love a lot of her songs ironic by alanis morissette when she's just singing in the car and she's like she's basically like playing almost like like a like a mother and a child and like maybe like a friend or like an older person she's playing like four different characters in different seats in the car and that the whole video takes place in this car so obviously it was really low budget but it's an awesome like an awesome video of her just like you know people start rocking out to the song in the car like one by one and like the mother's like the last one holding out like she's not going to start singing and shit and then by the end of the video she starts singing and getting into the song too See, Alanis Morissette's one of those uh, artists that I did not get until I was much later in life. Like, I, it just didn't, she just didn't do it for me. It, again, it was, it was, it was too cool for school hipster, you know, 13 year old me, you know. When, I can uh, see that back then. Yeah. Everybody, it was because you couldn't get away from it, especially if you worked at a record store, you could not get away from it. So it was. Alanis was was a tough pill to swallow, a jagged little pill for me to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, but I got it years later, like, and the, the video was definitely awesome. And there, it, it shows. It also there is so much you can do with a car. A car is almost like the the most recognizable narrative use uh device you can use is a car because you've all been in a car you've yeah. all sat in a car you've all not wanted to be in a car and you've all made the best out of sitting in the car and i kind of feel like that's what that video is doing and but but the thing that always like i said i might have gotten alanis later in life but what always kills me about alanis is that she wrote all those songs about david collier from full house i don't know who that is uh, uncle joey oh no uncle. way no way yes. yes she was like a teenager and he was like an older guy dating her and what? she wrote all those songs about her breakup with dave coulier that makes those songs suck a lot more now i, I know congratulations you're, you're welcome i bestowed this <laughs> gift upon you like you ought to know is like such a great song like she's just fucking furious in that song and like you can totally relate to it whether you're a dude or a chick or like whatever like you can understand where she's coming from. Clearly she's talking about pregnancy. So maybe not exactly if you're a guy, but you get the fucking point. Yes, I but she said it was about him. It was about Uncle him. Joey. Uncle Joey and his horrible Popeye impressions. Oh my God. Cut it out, man. <laughs> I did my research. Now you I'm do sorry. yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. But yeah, but, but, you know, but nonetheless, you know, we don't, we don't, um, I, I guess I shouldn't do that because it's not right to shame people. Um, and you know what, Alana, she loved Dave Coulier. Maybe, maybe he was a charming fella. Um, but yeah, I, I great artist. And I, I was actually a little bummed when uh, she announced that uh, they, she announced that big tour she was doing with Garbage, and I got a ticket, and it was canceled because of COVID. Yeah, when that tour started, I was like secretly hoping my wife would want to go and she didn't say anything. So like, I think if she does do the tour again, I'm just gonna be like, hey, we're, we're going to go see Lance more. So I, I don't care. And, 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 and I love garbage. So I was I, I thought that was just I thought that was like a perfect bill. Like I, that was like a bill that was like, that's perfect. I like you know, sometimes, songs. you know, you know, sometimes you have like, you know, somebody announces they're doing a big tour and you could give a rat's ass about the opener and you're probably going to be walking into your seat during the opener. Garbage is somebody I would get there early for, you know? Definitely. 
I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier, really briefly, when you were talking about cars. Because some, as soon as you started talking about that, something we almost totally forgot to mention, it doesn't necessarily revolve around 90s music videos, but it's probably an important thing to mention. When we're talking about the, the advent of the car and it being like, you know, this, this that iconic thing that everybody's been in before, so it's, it's perfect for music videos, it's also perfect for films. And I would be remiss if I didn't just throw out a mention here since we're talking about stuff in the 90s, specifically music videos, but still, follow me along the trail. I got to mention Wayne's World and being in that goddamn AMC Pacer. What an iconic scene when they're singing Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, I, unbelievable. Well, perfect segue, because honestly, we, weren't, we, we didn't even mention that. We, we, did not, we, did not even, uh, we did not even put that in any of our notes. But the thing is that technically, if you remember, Bohemian Rhapsody was re-released as a single and the music video was the Wayne's World scene. Yeah, and that's you a cannot, good point. I forgot about and, that. That it, was re-released. It, 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 I mean, Bohemian Rhapsody was not a number one hit in the United States until it was re-released as a single for the Wayne's World soundtrack. And the video, and just because of that, that scene is so iconic, that makes the video iconic. You can't think of 90s pop culture without thinking about Wayne's World. Yeah. That was like I mean, one you of don't... the best things that ever came out of Saturday Night Live. Like they could have, they could have just like people give Wayne's World two shit. Wayne's World two is actually way better, Wayne's I think, than what awesome. people give it credit for. Wayne's World two is awesome. They could have made a third movie and it, done it, something it, different. It, I mean, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not Wayne's. It's not, it's not the original Wayne's World. Like uh, to, to to go off to, go on top off topic and a little tangent here. But I remember uh, a good friend of mine, my friend Katie, and I were talking about generation defining movies. And her father brought up how The Graduate was the defining movie of his generation. What was, and it, so to her, he said to her, what is the uh, generation defining movie to you? And she was like, Wayne's World. And I was like, I completely agree with that. I love it. The director was Penelope Spheris, who also directed, without a shadow of a doubt, my favorite music documentary, Decline of Western Civilization which I definitely recommend anybody check out if you've never seen it. It's all about what it was like. It was basically her just following around first wave American hardcore bands in LA in the, uh, in the early eighties, your black flags, your dead Kennedys, your circle oh, jerks sick. and those kinds of bands. And it's amazing. And then she followed it up with the decline of Western civilization too, which was about your hair bands. So she's just, <laughs> a, she's just a, one of the best. She's one of my favorite filmmakers ever. And Wayne's World, she got her huge payday with Wayne's World. And I was so happy for that. That makes me so happy. Pop culture defined 90s Wayne's World. You don't have Beavis and Butthead without Wayne's World. Yeah. John, I, wanna, I just want to say one thing. I know you just got a new guitar. So just remember, no stairway. No stairway. No stairway. <laughs> best, best movie prop ever is that side. <laughs> that side is so good. So good. Points to the side. Oh so man, good. love Wayne's World so much. Damn, and Tia Carrera, something else. Oh man, so good, so good. so good. Her cover, her cover of uh, of uh, Ballroom Blitz by uh, by the Sweet in that movie, so good, so good. Yeah, I can still see her playing that in my head, man. Rocking the hell out. That was awesome. Finally, John, uh, let's go off on on, on two big notes here. Uh, talking about the 90s pop. I, I did mention the boy band stuff before. 
we're not really going to cover that, but obviously NSYNC, Backstreet Boys, 98 Degrees, they were like the whole thing. We mentioned them. Right. They got their mention. More important than them were Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears. I mean, these two were like, you know, I would say Britney Spears was the Madonna of the 90s. I'm not say, trying to take anything away from Madonna, but I mean, she was on a whole, there was, there was pop stars and then there was Britney Spears. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because that's how I always kind of felt. Now, the difference is Madonna was more of an artist in that she created her own stuff. So, I mean, and she was actually a a pretty decent actress, too, which is crazy to think about. Madonna. So Madonna, Madonna's kind of on another stratosphere. But I can see that. I can totally agree with that. But as far as importance to the pop culture to even the lexicon of things you would talk about britney spears was massive and i know it was the end of the decade i know it was the end of the, it was i guess it would have been 90 was it when 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 did when did britney mania start it was probably in like 90? 97 but hit me baby one more time came out in 1998 and that it was, was not, no it was not it was 98. It was definitely 98 because okay. I was trying to think if it was my, if it was my, uh, I, I, I basically, everybody wonders how I know years and dates so much. It's just because I moved as a junior in high school. So it's easy. To, it basically, it's a timestamp. I have a time, what we say timestamp. I have a timestamp of 1998 beginning of, uh, was fall, fall of 1998 and everything that happened after. I can kind of tell you what happened before and after. Right. Britney Mania hits, but hit me baby one more time. And there was not a, boy or girl that did not have a crush on Britney Spears when that, when that, uh, when that hits. I mean, that was um, a big reason for me to watch TRL and just wait for like, yes, the number one absolutely. or number two video to come on. I'll wait for that. Sure. Let me see Britney Spears. And I, re- and I remember, I remember being weird. Cause it was like, yes, I obviously found her incredibly sexy and attractive, but there was like this different kind of crush that I had on her than I had on other uh, pop, you know, female pop singers. I almost wanted to like meet Britney and hang out with Britney and like take her to meet my mom. Like there was just, even though she was so sexy and vivacious, it was just, <laughs> I don't know. It was, there was, there was like substance there. And I, I make no apologies by saying that I am a Britney Spears fan. And I remember when that, that hit me baby one more time video hit. And that was just like, holy shit. Like, and I, but I got to ask I think I know where you probably land. Were you team Christina or you team, uh, team Brittany? Definitely Brittany. I mean, Christina had a couple of hits. I liked some of her songs. I would even say that she, Christina might have a better voice. She probably has she's, a better she's voice. A way better than singer. Britney Spears. She's a way better yeah. singer. Way but better singer. I think Brittany but, just had bigger bangers, you know, like they were like, you know, they were, they would hit you more. Like they would, the, the sound like would, the song would be better, but Christina could sing better. You know what I mean? But but here but here's the thing. When I look for a pop star, the thing I ultimately look for is just natural jump off the screen charisma. And Britney, they're gonna they're gonna change the name of charisma one day too. You have Britney. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, she captured everyone's attention for sure. But let's be real. Christina Aguilera was always second fiddle to her. And she had a better voice than her. Like, that's crazy. Like, it didn't matter. Her voice did like, her better voice didn't matter. No, she, she was, um, yeah, Brittany was, Brittany was, uh, you know, the Backstreet Boys and uh, Christina was in sync. But, but in sync, in sync somehow, <laughs> somehow in sync gets credibility because Timberlake becomes, becomes huge on his own. But at the time, 
you know, they were this, they were the, it was always, they were the behind. They were the, well, and then, the and then 98 thing. degrees basically got shoved off the face of the earth, essentially. Like they weren't even like, they were a thing for like a couple of years and that was it. That one dude married yeah. Jessica Simpson. That was like, yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say that was the biggest claim to fame was that uh, the reality show that we would watch in, uh, we would watch in uh, F Court at Stockton. <laughs> newlyweds. Trick beers, newlyweds is on. <laughs> And we still got an hour to kill before MXC comes on. <laughs> but yeah, that, that would that would be that I would say like you know Christina Aguilar definitely better voice you know awesome video obviously Genie in a Bottle was huge she had she had a few other hits that I remember but nothing like Britney Spears like like I'll never forget her videos. Here's the thing: aside from my record store, I also worked in a farmer's market, and we would also we would play Top Forty. I didn't mind when the Christina Aguilera songs would come on. I'd get legitimately fucking stoked when the Britney songs would come on. And then I was much happier when we switched the, uh, the radio over to classic rock, but <laughs> right. That was, but that was, uh, but, but I was definitely way more on board with uh, Britney. Now, as far as like, I, I would say this is a perfect segue because I, I think hit me baby one more time is probably one of the most iconic videos ever. Uh, epic epic 90s videos is the, is the subtitle that we have for it there's a few that we already mentioned that i just want to run through because I'm, I'm we're not going to have a discussion about these again but inside of epic 90s videos i would say you know nirvana smells like teen spirit has to be in there beastie boy sabotage nine inch nails closer Soundgarden. we've already mentioned those and i would say i uh, guess we put those under their you know subgenres, but i would say that they're also epic 90s videos that everybody has to have seen or should see if you haven't yeah, I guess I guess this comes down to there not being a wrong or wrong or right definition of the word epic. It sounds like to you, epic just kind of more means of like the memory stamp that you that you take from it. Like I don't necessarily consider Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit an epic video. It's one of the greatest and biggest videos of the 1990s. But when I think of epic, my definition comes down to extravagance okay it comes down to uh and the 90s had a ton of these the 90s had a ton of these extravagant videos that were that were like events uh what like for instance one we did not put in our uh in our notes here but i would be remiss to think of or not to speak of when i think of epic videos would be the the michael jackson black or white video for sure which was which was like this Tune in at eight tonight when it premieres. And it and, and like it was almost like when Thriller debuted. That to me would have been an epic video of the 80s. There right. was a production value. It's a so there isn't a wrong or right way. It's just I guess it's about a personal perspective. True. Yeah, it's just it's just what you know what your definition of epic is. That's it's what yes. that's we had trouble if you guys haven't realized trying to figure out what to call this episode. So we just ended up calling it like you know 90s music video flashback because it was that's all we wanted to do was talk about these we had a very hard way of like trying to put these into a box um you know i know we try to put these into genres and things like that but saying what which ones were epic is is all in the eyes of the beholder so you're just kind of getting a taste of what we both you know think are like a different level essentially yeah and if and, and like again uh piggybacking on that uh, michael jackson thing which you know, I, I, it's tough talking about Michael Jackson these days, but you know, yeah. you, you can't, you can't, I, I don't erase history books. I, 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 I might view history a little differently. That can happen. But Look, here's like, the I truth. remember, 
John, sorry to interrupt you, but here's the truth. If Thriller's on the radio, you're bumping your goddamn head. I don't care who you are. Like, you're going to forget about everything for a short period of time and just listen to that song. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Phil Spector is my favorite musical mind of all time. I'm not turning off the Ronettes Be My Baby if it's on the radio because he murdered a lady. It's I, I, I view him differently. He's right, not, you're able to separate the art from the artist. Yes, I, I I view the artist much differently. But I right. but I but 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 nobody's turning off you know the Ronettes version of Sleigh Ride at Christmas time. Like nobody's doing that. Like right. people are still still going to be on in the mall. You know, even though the guy who uh, put the put the record together. Uh, is actually he just recently died because he died in prison after being convicted of murder you know <laughs> man yeah kind of crazy the guy who wrote the, the guy who produced be my baby <laughs> i mean he looked like i never i don't i'm not too familiar with like his like you know background and stuff i mean that guy just looks crazy like he looks insane oh well it was it's really <laughs> funny to side note because we went on we talked about Phil Spector. We could, I could do a full episode on Phil Spector. But he produced the Ramones record, End of the Century. And on the Ramones documentary of the same name, Marky Ramone tells a story about how Phil Spector held Johnny at gunpoint in his studio. Oh my God. And would not let him leave until the record until the until the track was done properly and at the time and at the time i'm thinking there's no way and then two years later he murders the lady and i'm like oh my god that makes sense crazy uh but you know it's tough to do a music podcast without uh phil specter coming up at some point i guess staying in the dark tones of things and mentioning uh one one another music video that we haven't mentioned so far metallica's enter sandman was clearly a dark video I'm not as dark as some other things that we mentioned already, but absolutely awesome. Very low budget, very low key music video, but it got the point across, which, you know, was about having messed up dreams, I guess, you know, essentially. Yeah. And there's, and there's, and there's so many iconic moments in this video. The one, the one that always stands out for me is the truck hitting the bed. <laughs> yeah. like i'll never forget that and it's and and it's weird because this this was always a uh with metallica i had already been a metallica fan for a few years when this came out for most people this was kind of their um jumping into metallica i had friends i had a friend whose older brother uh was hugely into metallica so we were in like first second grade listening to uh you know kill them all and ride the lightning and injustice for all like that we thought we were the coolest kids in the world yeah man so you, knew, you knew all their best songs before anybody else did man i mean not that anybody else didn't but like the metal people listen to metallica but this is when everyone listened to metallica yes so and so and, and it's weird is that i would eventually kind of have a more negative look at the black album but at the time are you kidding me i felt validated i felt like Oh, this band that I had been listening to for since I since I was a small kid, and you know how it is back then. It might have only been five years, but five years when you're a kid is like an oh, it's a lifetime. It's, it's a, a lifetime. lifetime. So, so it felt like a very big deal when Metallica was like, not, I mean, they had, they'd already been selling out arenas for years, but they, but this was when they they were getting radio play. 
on mainstream radio. You were turning on WMMR and hearing Enter Sandman. It's, it's weird. We were just talking about how Alternative killed it for a lot of metal bands. Somehow Metallica came out smelling like roses out of the whole uh, 90s boom. Their, album, like, their early albums managed to sound different enough and they were all really good. Ride the Lightning didn't sound like, you know, kill them all. And then Master of Puppets didn't sound like Ride the Lightning. And Injustice for All didn't sound like, you know, they all sounded different, including this album. And well, I sure, that, sure. You know, once sure. Load and Reload came out, that's when their albums started to sound similar. And like, even though I do like st- like newer songs, I actually do like Load. I think Reload's pretty good. They're you not. You don't like Saint honest. Anger. You don't like Saint Anger. Saint don't Anger is the Anger. one of the worst albums I've ever <laughs> listened to in my entire life, and I'm talking until about you heard Lulu ever. Until like, you heard Lulu. <laughs> Metallica's collaboration with Lou uh, Reed, or whatever that thing was called. Was it Lulu? Was that what it was called? I don't. I don't know, I don't know because after Saint Anger, that put such a dent into my head that I didn't listen to any other music, the new music for the longest like it wasn't until like a couple of years ago that i put on like their most recent record and was like well this is okay but saint anger just did massive damage to that band for me like it was that jesus christ man but going back to going with the black album here here's the here's the thing that was interesting about the black album because it was what you were saying that how there was kind of a transition over their uh period kill mall was your straight up thrash record it was this is thrash in your face and then yep. when they when they ride the lightning kind of like they were like you know what uh, we're, we're going to be the best thrash band out there but then they kind of little by little they kind of uh they, they kind of morphed into a more uh, accessible band so injustice for all was almost i wouldn't say a soft record because it's by no means a soft record it fucking shreds but it wasn't that much of a jump from injustice for all to the black album as some people make it to be i I can understand that like so injustice for all has like metallica has some very long songs but i i feel like if you went back and looked at the numbers injustice for all has some of the longest songs on there they almost feel like a metal ballad uh how long some of the songs are on injustice for all sure i just i just more mean in terms of like how uh a lot of people view uh um the the the, uh the black album is more of a hard rock album than a than a metal album and people were wondering where where the metal went almost that's i'm not saying that's true i'm saying that's that's a that's a common uh criticism of the record but but as a as a kid in the early '90s listening to that record, it was it was a big deal. The the Enter Sandman video, crazy iconic. The song, everybody knows it. It's one of those things that my mom does not know a Metallica song ever, but she's heard Enter Sandman a bunch of times. She's probably heard Unforgiven she too. Well, Unforgiven, I was gonna, I was just about to bring up Unforgiven. I didn't mean I Unforgiven that... too. I meant Unforgiven also, just to be clear, because they made like three versions of Unforgiven now. So yeah, I'm, yes, I'm yes. I know, I know, first I know. We're, we're not talking about Unforgiven uh, um, Roman numeral <laughs> II. We're talking about Roman numeral. We're talking about Unforgiven T-O-O. Yes. Uh, <laughs> That's so, what I meant. So yeah, because that video, 
um, as I think I mentioned to you before, that video to this day gives me nightmares because I'm, I'm legitimately afraid that I'm going to somehow be like eight years old again and kids are going to, bullies are going to like chase me into a sewer and then I'm going to live there for the rest of my life just scratching at the, <laughs> scratching at the walls trying to get out. Yeah, I, I mean, look, Metallica's made some great videos like, uh, you know, th for, throughout the decades. Obviously, Understand Man is the most popular one. I could probably be arguing with like what, which, which is the most, you know, their best video, but I would say that this is definitely the most iconic video or epic video just for like, you know, grabbing mainstream attention that most people would recognize. But then going Real back quick. to what you said earlier about them, like, like it being a lighter album, like this is, this is the mentality of someone younger. Like I, like I said, like we were talking about earlier, you know, who cares? They can make a fucking pop album. If it sounds good, I don't give a shit. You know, and, and like, you look, going on your going on your who cares is this, this is a cool little tidbit. I remember when they they did a single for um, Sad but True. Sad but uh, no, that was that. in the that was in the peak of my uh, buying cassette singles, even if I already had the album because I needed to have B sides. <laughs> and the B side they did for uh, Sad but True was a cover called "So What." Oh, that, I think they a, ended up putting that out later on. It's it's a cover of an old uh, '80s punk band called the Anti Nowhere League, and it is the most uh, obscenity-ridden song you will ever hear. So it's so it's like uh, it's kind of funny that yeah, Metallica was kind of you know Post is doing as uh, going to mainstream, but here they are doing you know this classic punk rock song that is has the most disgusting lyrics you've ever heard in your life. And, uh, and recorded on a major label. Now, real quick, because uh, I'm going to do this a lot on this podcast. Interesting tidbits and little weird side notes. We were talking about the Mighty Mighty Boston's earlier. So somebody had leaked an early copy of the Black Album to somebody in the Boston's camp. And oh, they really? went immediately. They went that seems kind of random. <laughs> they went, well, they just, they, they, friends in the record business, you know, you know record industry they they went immediately into the studio and recorded a cover of enter sandman and put it out before metallica are you kidding me they did it as a joke it was it, it was a b-side on a single it wasn't like uh it wasn't it wasn't uh it, it wasn't like they released it as a single and were like stealing metallica's thunder That's but it was so just kind crazy. of funny it's just kind of funny that it's like ah technically if you want to really really go at it did, did, the, did metallica cover the boston's <laughs> that's so nuts and, man and on that same on that same b-side they also did a really great cover of van halen's ain't talking about love so go, go I, I would check that out if you can it's very easy to check out music now boston's cover of enter sandman rips well, yeah we're gonna actually get into van halen in just a second but i just want to mention that song so what as soon as you said that i knew i heard that from metallica before but i never had a single they ended up releasing it on the the second or the re-release of Garage Days. It's called Garage Days Inc. So they made Garage Days, which was oh, yeah, they did the volume two, and that had right. the uh, that had that had the cover of Die Die My Darling on there by the right. Misfits. That was on there also. And on their so first Garage Days, yeah, and their first Garage Days, they had um, they did Last Caress and Green Hell by the Misfits. Yes, they and did. the Metallica, and and it's it's funny thinking about it. I'm you you you'd be hard pressed to find a bigger Misfits fan than me. But I almost have to think that Metallica was responsible for me finding the Misfits 
because it was my same friend whose older brother, like Metallica, is also the one who got us into the Misfits. And I think it was Metallica's love of the Misfits is why he got it. Yeah, their covers in the Misfits songs are they're very good. I mean, you can argue back and forth which version's better. It doesn't matter. They're, they're, you know, their covers are also very good. Oh, they do great. Metallica does great covers because you know what? They mastered that. Here's the art. Well, we will do an episode on covers. That will happen. Oh, yeah. We'll do an episode on covers. But the thing that drives me insane, as I mentioned on the previous podcast, is when bands do a cover and they want to sound exactly like the band they're covering. It makes Metallica no sense. definitely Metallica's do doing a cover. Metallica's doing a cover. They're doing a Metallica cover of the song they're doing. Yep, absolutely. And it, it makes it so much better than that. Like, don't try to replicate what's already done. Do your own thing, man. Exactly. That's why I'm listening to what you're what you're doing. So if we're going to transition here, I think this is a good transition since we're talking about Metallica. Because there were many in the 90s, you were either Team Metallica or you were Team Guns N' Roses. I was Team Guns N' Roses. I was 100% Team Guns N' Roses. I'm still Team Guns N' Roses. I love Metallica. I love you guys. But I was Team Guns N' Roses. And Guns N' Roses basically were my favorite band before I found Bad Religion and after I found R.E.M. Um, Guns N' Roses were sandwiched in there and they're still in my top 10. But their band that would do covers and they would do them straight up Guns N' Roses style. Like you're listening to Guns N' Roses do Live or Let Die. And that was a great video. But then, but then what the thing that Guns N' Roses did in the 90s is they did a barrage of epic videos that felt like you, it felt like Spielberg did the budget on these movies, on these uh, videos. Oh yeah, they, they yeah. had some huge bangers. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, just the, the, the production value of these videos. They, it, it, first, I have to mention, we won't touch on it too much, but Guns N' Roses, You Could Be Mine video that made me a Guns N' Roses fan. So it goes back to the power of the music video. Here is Guns N' Roses doing their song, that is being done for Terminator 2, which is <laughs> 90s in a nutshell, that movie. That was probably, aside from Jurassic Park, the most iconic movie of the decade. So the video is Arnold Schwarzenegger walking into a Whiskey-A-Go-Go with a loaded <laughs> shotgun. Definitely pre-9-11 there, buddy. Oh, <laughs> walking yeah. in, nobody's even checking, nobody's even taking his gun. He's just walking in and he's doing the Terminator vision and they're playing video, they're playing clips from the movie in that video and Guns N' Roses are playing live and I just think it's the coolest thing in the world. I buy the cassette single and they're my favorite band. Then they start putting out the epic videos. It started with Don't Cry and then the next one is the one we're going to talk about here which was the gigantic epic that was November Rain. Do you remember the first time seeing the November Rain video? It, I wouldn't have seen it uh, the year it came out. The year it came out was 1992. So this was like beyond me. But like one thing that I love to do once I got into music is MTV and VH1 would have like these greatest videos of all time things. And that was, might've been the first time I seen it. It also could have been like possibly on Beavis and Butthead or something like that. I don't, I don't remember exactly where or when I seen it, but I, I always remember that video very vividly. The, the song itself was like, I mentioned Metallica's, you know, kind of like one was felt like, like a, like a metal, like ballad sort of album. This was like a ballad song. Like this was clearly that from Guns N' Roses. 
I wanted to do everything they did in that video. <laughs> I wanted to hang out at the whiskey. I wanted to, or no, the rainbow. That video is in the rainbow. Yeah, the bar. rainbow. Rainbow bar. I wanted to hang out at the rainbow bar and do shots with Duff and Slash. I wanted to date Stephanie Seymour. I wanted to marry her. I didn't want her to die. I didn't want that to happen. <laughs> but, um, but, but I wanted to, I wanted to be, I wanted, I wanted, I, and I, I just wanted to be, I wanted to be in such a big rock band that they had a symphony orchestra playing with you on stage. Right. It was this mind-blowing thing. And we're talking about the minimalist nature of the 90s. Guns N' Roses somehow weathered that storm that was uh, alternative rock. Because Guns N' Roses were the biggest band in the world not named U2 in 1992, 93. Yeah, I don't know how that happened. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> no, no, I know, you're talking, I know you're speaking of U2. But, yeah, but the thing is, we're not going to talk about whether what, what U2 did or didn't bring to the table. Here. And by the way, no, they had I... some crazy awesome videos for that on, on that, yeah, on, on that I, yeah. TV. Yeah. But, um, but but we can't deny how big and popular they were, are, and will probably forever be. Yeah. Just don't go. And now, you know what, you two? I'm going to go listen to your next record when you put it out. Just don't automatically fucking download it to my phone, all right? That's bullshit. I did not need that. I did not need that. They, 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 they sucker me in with this, their lead single called The Magic of Joey Ramone. I'm like, oh, wow, they wrote a song about. No, it's garbage. <laughs> no all right all right i went off topic here bottom line is the november rain video was a movie it yeah because the song the song was i think eight minutes long or like seven like almost eight minutes long like it's very it's, long it's, it's eight minutes long it follows a story structure you're watching them just date and you're watching them get married you're right. watching their abusive relationship you're watching her die and they allude to maybe him killing himself. Like there's like so much going on in that video. There is. And, and, they, and they still managed to squeeze in like over the top ridiculousness. Like my favorite, this, this really is not like the, there's, this has nothing to do with the story of the video, but that moment where they're like in the middle of the desert nowhere, there's like this small chapel. I think it's right after she died. Slash walks out of the small chapel in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere there's like, you know, it looks like they're like probably the fake like like little like crosses and like gravestones and stuff like people passed away. And, and when his solo hits, he just starts shredding outside of that that chapel. And it's like, and the, and the wind's like blowing on him. Like they put giant fans in front of him clearly. Like that shit is like hollering like like 90s, like cheesy shit to me. Like that's awesome. Like a whole well, movie the 80s. <laughs> well, it's, um well, I mean, I, I imagine that chapel in that desert has the same acoustic structure as that mountain that Richie Sambora is playing his solo on uh, Bed of Roses video. <laughs> I guess it's just like you don't need an amp when you're when you're in yeah, certain man. places. Yeah, but, you don't even need to plug but, in. Fuck it. Just smoke a cigarette and go to town. That's it. Dude, nature knows when you're slash <laughs> and you got a fucking leather jacket unzipped, that Les Paul is just going to fucking wail and you're going to get the best sound possible. And... and <laughs> It's Guns N' Roses did have a way of the epic video and you talk about the over-the-topness I mean we can go back to November Rain but do you remember the estranged video that they that came out after this it was the it was the third part of the epic trilogy as they called it they had Don't Cry November Rain and then the estranged video no I never saw that I, what happened with that 
Okay, the estranged video is kind of amazing. The song is incredible. It's, I still say, Use Your Illusion should not have been two records. They could have, should have cut out a shit ton of uh, fat and just made it one amazing record instead of two very good records. But they had like all these really long songs, so they had to make it two records. Estranged isn't quite November Rain quality, but it's November Rain light. And the video is like November Rain if it didn't have a story structure and it was just over-the-top ridiculousness. It includes Axl Rose jumping off of an aircraft carrier and then swimming with dolphins. I mean, that sounds epic to me. It's, it's pretty epic. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, so Guns N' Roses, those epic videos, you should watch them all. You should watch them all in a row. Watch them all in sequential order. I'll have to go back and check those out because I, I, I've seen plenty of Guns N' Roses videos, but I don't remember that one. So I'll have to go back and watch those in order to get the full, you know, they had, like 12, for. they had like 12 singles between those two records. It's insane. They were putting out a video every other day. They had a video for a song called Garden of Eden, which I remember when it came out and I love it. It's kind of one of their punkier jams. But then they had a video for a song called The Garden. And I'm like, they released The Garden as a single? Check it out. It's an okay song. It's uh, famous for having uh, Alice Cooper on it. But the video is just like stock footage. It was just like Guns N' Roses were just pumping out videos every other day for like a uh, two-year period there. Yeah, that, that's nuts, man. They had so many, you're right, they had so many singles off those couple of albums. It's unbelievable. Another band who had a bunch of singles off of a double-sided CD was Smashing Pumpkins. They had a lot of big videos, but I would say their most uh, epic video, it could be argued again, but I would say it's probably Tonight Tonight with the Zeppelin and like the weird like animations. Also felt like another Tim Burton type well, video. Well, if you're going by my definition of epic, it is clearly the most epic video. Again, it's one of those ones I'm going to do my little, uh, my little, I can't believe I didn't do my research going into this to see who directed this video. It's clearly their most epic as far as the production value. I didn't really care too much about what MTV told me during those days, but I remember every single MTV VMAs finale and that year closed with Smashing Pumpkins doing Tonight Tonight. And it was largely in part of how much ingrained that video was into people's heads i think that video i mean the song is great uh smashing pumpkins during the 90s were doing amazing things the song was great yeah that double-sided dcd had a, like quite a few hits on its hand 1979 was on there as well zero was on there dude 1979 is such a good song oh my god i'm gonna be listening to uh smashing pumpkins today that's what i'm gonna be doing i remember there was the joke though um when our friend greg said to me he got he said, um, do you remember when Billy Corgan put out that solo record that nobody remembered? <laughs> Didn't you think he like left Smashing Pumpkins? He did that solo record. And then like a few years later, he like went back to Smashing Pumpkins. Isn't that what happened? Yes, that is exactly okay. <laughs> what happened. Now talk about perfect, uh, seg- perfect segment to discuss this. Talk about my most heartbreaking thing over COVID was that I was supposed to do a week trip back up north to go do a week of Guns N' Roses shows. Uh, Smashing Smashing Pumpkins was opening on the tour. Oh man, that would have been killer, dude. I know. I know. I was like so stoked for it. 
Man. Yeah, but but that video, the, I, I remember, I mean, I did re- re-watch it to do for prep for the podcast, but the blues, the blues and the color, I don't mean the sadness, I mean the color blues in that video are just so distinctive. Lots of blues and violets with pale whites and just feeling like you're watching like a 1940s stage play. Yeah, it definitely but feels like a play. dream. But you're in a dream. They were all over with the '90s in their videos. Like I'll touch. I'll talk about it a little bit. The Today video to me is almost '90s in a nutshell. Let's uh, let's get this ice cream truck and have a have a cute couple rolling around in grass and a creepy Billy Corgan singing in a uh, ice cream <laughs> in, in a creepy in an ice cream man suit like he's clearly stalking them. Oh yeah, I mean that that stalking children was the big thing in the '90s. Now now kids aren't allowed outside because parents freaked out in the '90s about it, which maybe they had some right to, but I think it was a little overblown for sure. Okay. So I looked up the director of Tonight Tonight, and I'm shocked. It's um, Jonathan Date, who did direct some um, some feature films, but nothing really like visually stunning. Uh, he his most famous work would have been uh, Little Miss Sunshine, which was a brilliant movie. I saw that. Movie. It was a very good movie. And I would have uh, I would have thought that the guy maybe the guy who directed. Um, today directed that movie not tonight tonight john let's finish this off with one of your favorite bands van halen we're going to mention right now which came out in 1992 i don't remember seeing this video as a child i might have seen it later on but i really don't remember this video and i should remember this video because when i saw it i was like oh my god they're saying so much in this video obviously they're being straight in your face about it there's no question about what they're talking about there's words on the screen telling you what they're talking about don't wait for tomorrow, you know, do whatever it is that you want to do, do it today because tomorrow might not exist. Yeah. It it was a very socially conscious video and Van Halen was not known for being socially conscious. That was not, not not the first thing I think of when I think about Van Halen. (laughs) No, not, I mean, either era, either era, like it's not even a Sammy versus Dave thing. True. Sammy Hagar wasn't writing socially conscious songs pre or in Van Halen. This video was meant to, to say something. And I'm surprised you don't have a remembrance of when it was because it was very much a, uh, a pop culture thing. Like it was, it was one of those videos that was on all the time. SNL parodied it. When Crystal Pepsi came out, that was the song they used for the commercial. And it was right now. It's funny you're talking about socially conscious. Oh man, I think being, I remember that commercial, man. Cause I love now, Crystal Pepsi. But now it's being it's being used to promote Pepsi products, you know. And it was right now, Pepsi, Crystal Pepsi will be in your gro- you know, your local grocer kind of deal <laughs> right with the now. same little fonts with the with the, with the thing and the typing. But no, it's it's a great song. I have a lot of fond memories of it. This was kind of very brief period of time of me being a teenager and actually liking Sammy Era Van Halen. Really, really just great song. And the video, the video is very powerful. It is. It's, it says it, a lot. It, it, and it holds up because even though it looks very 90s, it's not CG. They're showing you real people. They're showing you real things that are going on. They're telling you to go, they're telling you to go see that, help that homeless person that, it, that, that you walk by every day. Right. Well, that's what I was going to say. The sad and true part of this video is that most of the problems that they talk about very little has changed in the past 30 years. 
And I don't know, if, I don't know, and I don't know if you watched that video I told you to check out, the Nerf Herder Van Halen video. Oh no, I forgot to check that one out. It is, it is done. It's done as basically a parody of the Van Halen right now video, right. <laughs> but it's singing about, but it's singing about their experience as Van Halen fans, and it's, <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. If you, if you've never seen the Van, or the Nerf Herder video for Van Halen, I highly recommend. It is, it's Weezer Rock about Van Halen as a parody of the Right Now video. I mean, that sounds right up my alley. I'm going to have to go check that out for sure. Now, um, since we're talking about epic videos, I want to talk about one more. The power of the 90s video brought some people out of seclusion. Artists who were dead to rights and playing at your local county fair. (laughs) Who at one time, at one time, sold 50 million copies of a single record. And we're now at your local nightclub. And that was Meatloaf. <laughs> meat, meat, the Meatloaf, I would do anything for love video, made Meatloaf a household name again. Do you remember this video? Oh, yeah. I didn't watch this video recently. I forgot about it. We were talking about Meatloaf a while ago, but uh, I actually went back and listened to Bad Out of Hell, which is actually pretty good. It's a pretty good record. Bad Out, of, Bad Out of Hell is one of my favorite records. Bad Out of Hell. Just a little meatloaf thing. Todd Rundgren and John Steinman, who were the masterminds behind Bad Out of Hell, saw Meatloaf in Rocky Horror Picture Show and were like, yo, let's make an album with that guy. And we have this awesome idea. We're going to give it gothic undertones. It's going to be this rock opera. And we're going to get people from Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band to play on the record. And it is just going to be this awesome combination. And it was, and it sold 50 million copies worldwide. It was a major, major, one of the highest selling records of all time. And then Meatloaf, without the genius of Todd Rundgren and John Steinman, isn't doing much. Nobody cares. So then John Steinman says, hey, Meatloaf, let's make Bad Out of Hell (laughs) 2. 20 years later. (laughs) And they put out this video. And it becomes a massive hit. It sold 15 million copies. Now, here's the crazy. The video is so over the top. It is <laughs> yeah. so crazy. And it makes no sense. Yeah. It makes no sense. It starts off with this high-speed police chase of a motorcycle, because motorcycles were huge in the 90s for some reason in videos. Going into this cabin, then they, the motorcyclist disappears, and all of a sudden, Meatloaf is singing, and he, <laughs> he looks like Ace Frehley from Kiss. 80 years later and it's just insane (laughs) there's some hot chick that he's singing with and then halfway in between there's police outside investigating a murder of who i don't know i never figured that out it makes no sense but it's a great video he he, i always felt like in that video he was dressed like the beast from beauty and the beast like the disney movie from the 90s like oh it's definitely no it's it's definitely (laughs) no no it's definitely very much that there's the, the allusions to Beauty and the Beast are very heavy-handed. It's yeah. that is definitely, definitely without a doubt they were going for that. I mean, they got the smoking hot chick on the flying piano. Yes, that's right, everybody. A flying piano. <laughs> and now, so huge budget, huge special effects, and it makes no sense, which completely makes sense when you look at who the director of this video was. Who was that? Drumroll. Think of it in your head. Think of the drum roll in your head. 
and I'll reiterate, huge budget, makes no sense. Michael Bay. Oh my God. What the? What? <laughs> Michael Bay directed the meatloaf. I would do anything for love video. I was that, that helicopter that's uh, in the police chase in the beginning. I, you look at, you watch it now, knowing that like, you're, oh, waiting yeah. for, uh, you're waiting for Martin Lawrence and Will Smith to jump out. Then uh, Sean Connery to be like, welcome to the rock. Oh my God, dude. Michael Bay. That's awesome. I had no, I did not know that. That's a fantastic piece of a uh, piece of knowledge. There you go. Michael Bay, everybody definitely doesn't understand story structure, but he knows how to make an explosion. Right. Right. All right, guys. So that was your flashback to the 1990s videos. Uh, what were some of the videos we missed? Leave a comment. Let us know. Be nice. Be reading some of those. Um, on the next episode, if you guys want to keep listening along with us, again, this is supposed to be like a journey for mainly for me, not so much for John, because he knows a lot more than I do about this stuff. But if you want to come along with this journey, the next thing we're going to be listening to is the Beach Boys Pet Sounds, which is widely regarded as one of the greatest records of all time. I'm not very familiar with this at all. I only know a couple songs off this record. So I'm going to be listening to this heavily over the next few weeks uh, until we record next. So if you guys want to prepare for the next show, put that in your ear holes. Don't forget to support us over on Patreon. We definitely appreciate it. Patreon.com slash Nerdthusiast. And remember to follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, all those things. John, where can people follow you at? Find me on Twitter at SloopJ232 and on Instagram at SloopJohn232, which are Pet Sounds influenced names. There you go. And if you want to follow my personal account, it's at from NJ2CA. The two is a number two. Thank you guys for listening to this show. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please leave us some feedback. You know, if you guys could give us, you know, a thumbs up, like the, the video, if you're watching the video, if you're listening on podcast services, please give us a five-star review. We definitely appreciate it. We hope you guys have a great day. John, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. This has been a treat, man. Yeah, I love doing the show. You Thank you for doing this. We hope you guys are enjoying the show. Let us know. Have a great day. 